What is good, folks? Welcome in once again. It is your host, the man of the hour, the one and only, the Super Mario Caballero. Presente. Yep, yep, yep. Kind of crazy few days. I'm all wrapped up in World Cup fever. We're going to break down all that craziness, this madness. This year's edition of the tournament has been insane on many different levels. As a Chicano, it is fucking crazy. No U.S. this year, so I got one half of me that's going nuts for Chucky Lozano. el three. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. But first, today, today is, uh, I got to break some of this shit down first. Y'all know what it is. It is Thursday, June the 21st, also known as NBA Draft Night. So I am a huge fucking NBA fan, and shit was crazy. So we're going to talk a little bit about that um, going into it. Um, yeah, I mean, mostly this. Uh, kind of break down a little bit of my weekend that happened. It's been a few days. I got my fucking rundown of everything I want to talk about, and it's like hella old because I want to do this shit on Monday, and then I got lazy, and then I wanted to do it on Tuesday, and I was like, nah. And then I wanted to do it on Wednesday, and I was like, nah, again. So yeah, it's Thursday, but we're doing it now, so it is what it is. Yeah, uh, some music reviews for me, and then some uh, more news and notes. Um, yeah, some craziness in the world going on today. Anyway, like I said, this is your boy, the Puro Caballero Show. Rolling through episode number 29. Yep, joining you here, the Asthmetic Aztec, the boss of the birria. He used to call me Big Peso back in the day, you know. Because I'm Mexican, I be getting money. I was money actually making shots. That's why they called me that shit. I was was around the court. But yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. (laughs) My boy's asking me who the hell is Lakers drafted tonight. (laughs) So they got two Euro Euro sounding dudes that are actually from America. (laughs) Or actually played uh, college last year. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy you got two euro sounding dudes like i said um yeah let me bring up this draft order shit and we'll break that shit down for you doing some research on where the hell i'm gonna be watching this mexico and uh south korea game on saturday let's see nba draft results Boom. Give me the motherfucking rundown. The motherfucking rundown. Let's see. Um. Yeah, it's funny. He's asking me what colleges. I'm like Michigan and Kansas, bro. <laughs> it's like two of the biggest schools in the nation. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Um, all right, 
Where the fuck is the results? Load the fucking page. I just want a fucking list. I don't like this shit. Uh, somebody, please make it simple. Don't give me a pick updates. Where the fuck is it? Draft results, sporting news. Here we go. Let's try this one. Anyway, well, I'll tell you number one. Don J. Ayton, as everyone guessed, he went number one over to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, big fella, uh, bohemian, Jamaican. I think he said he's also Nigerian descent. And he looks real athletic. He's got that bully ball post game that is a kind of a throwback. You don't really see teams throwing the ball in the post and, and letting their whole offense operate uh, from there. But he is the kind of guy that you are able to do that if you so choose. Uh, we're, we'll see how good he can be in the pick and roll situation with um, Devin Booker because I think that could also be a good play for them. Josh Jackson, very athletic as well. So we'll see how the Suns are molding. I mean, they got the number one pick, so aren't that hot, but they do have some couple young guys that are a little promising there. But mostly... What I want to do today is fucking talk about my goddamn Sacramento Kings and the shit show that like that their front office is and the crazy fucking shit that's been on going on, man. Like I gotta like detach myself from the fucking rea- like the reality of this shit because I go balls deep with the Kings, man. Like I don't know why, and it's just like my thing, I guess. Like everyone's got their thing, and this is my thing. Those fucking Sacramento Kings, man. Like through and through, there's just there's just a I don't know. Not the most smoothly run franchise ever. I will say that. And it's just frustrating as hell, man. Like, I'm glad I kind of took some time. Because it's fucking, like, past 9 o'clock now. From when they freaking drafted. Because they made their pick around, like, 4.30. Ah, man. I'm glad I took some time to fucking digest this shit. Because, man. I wanted to do this, with like, kind of live through the draft. But... Hmm. I don't think I could have. Uh, that's probably a good choice I didn't because fucking A, man. My favorite player in the whole draft was Luka Doncic, who the Kings did not select with number two. And Luka had like all, he's he's got a lot of writings of, in my opinion, like all-star caliber player. And that's what you need. He's a, you know, bigger wing who has great handling and passing ability great instincts and just understands the way the game's played he understands angles and he's not the most athletic guy but he he's uh he's got good size and and uh it's not bad athleticism but he knows how to maximize his athleticism which not a lot everyone does in the nba there's a lot of guys that are way more athletic than he is or ever will be but you only see flashes of it every so often He'll give you everything that's at a baseline that's like higher than than like what the maybe the average would be uh, for some other players. Not all of them. I mean, you can he might never be able to reach reach that LeBron level, or will ever, never reach that LeBron athleticism level, which almost never no one ever will. But uh, like the whole combined package is fucking ridiculous. But I mean, anyway, um, he you know he's a good shooter. He's got the pull up game. Knows how to run pick and rolls. And can operate from the post and operate from the top of the the, the key, but 
they didn't want to. Apparently, they were saying that like De'Aaron Fox and him have too much of a similar style of game, and De'Aaron Fox isn't good enough shooter to play him off ball because Doncic would have wanted the ball. I can understand that, but these guys are at like the beginning of their careers, and they're, you know, if you put two guys in a situation, they'll learn and, and eventually grow to adapt with each other. Like it's just a matter of time, and it's, you have these guys on these rookie contract deals, so you can extend them out for a long period of time, and you can run that experiment and that growth for for a little bit, and see exactly how that how, how that meshes together. Because I mean, you got like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, the best example of how they've been able to work with each other. Um, so like Steph will be on ball, Clay be off ball, and or, or vice versa sometimes, or maybe they'll move Draymond to the on ball a lot of times, um, and then about run both guys off of picks you know, flaring around and everything, so, man, I was just, I was really excited, and I really was hopeful that that was going to happen, me and a lot of the fan base, this is the most highly touted uh, prospect to come out of Europe, like, ever, he's uh, already accomplished some of the most craziest things, he's won uh, Eurobasket for um, his Slovenia team, which is like Slovenia, it's like him and um, uh, Goran Dragic are like the two main players on that team this kid is like freaking 19 and it was or like i think it was 18 last year when he did it like last summer which is basically like the uh um the euros the basketball version of the euros uh for the all the european nations like the tournament so i think there's like a fiba americas tournament also too but it's not as not as hot as uh as uh euro basket zero basket's a little bit more parody in the competition i would say um, just looking at some of the teams and the rosters and how they break out because, I mean, the U.S. team is just always just ridiculously stacked but not as cohesive because these players don't play with each other all the time. The other national teams, these players know each other a lot better, so it's a little different environment. But even on the club level for him, he's playing for Real Madrid, uh, their basketball team, and they're freaking one of the more dominant teams in all of Europe. Like them, Barcelona is another good team. Fenerbahce always has good squads. Um, Macabay Tel Aviv. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Toulon out there in France. I mean, there's other there's other squads out there. But, like, these are some of, like, the heavyweights and the staples. And Real Madrid doesn't give playing time to nobody, man. They got, like, some really established players that are, like, ex-NBA athletes. Um, and a lot of guys as they're coming up. But... They've had Luca like on their squad for a few years now, and he's just like he became like the leader of the team, which is insane for a guy who was like 16, 17, 18, 19, barely. So like this craziness. Um, but man, I'm so excited to see him in a Kings uniform because you would think that might happen. You got Vladi Divac, who's the GM, and he's got the connection to former Yugoslavian countries. And which Slovenia is part of it, um, but but man, so fucking in. Uh, man, Luca, Luca, Luca. What could have been? What could have been? What could have been? Yep, Slovenia. Oh, fuck. So I mean, that's like his part of the world, Vladi Divas, and they got guys like Peja Stojakovic also too from. Uh, Serbia, Montenegro, so, I mean, I know, I understand, they're, they're not all the same, they're different ethnically, and all that other shit, but, 
you know, you figure a guy who's from Europe and from that part of the world, no one recognized that kind of talent, which he might have. And understanding, understandably, the reports were saying that the front office was very high, more high, higher on Doncic than, I guess, the, uh, um, whatchamacallit, um, the ownership group. So take that for what it's worth. Kings ended up getting Marvin Bagley though, so that was a, that was a thing. So they got Big Bagley, and you know Luca is more of like a front, uh, you know, face the basket type of player. You think he was like, uh, it's Luca's uh, freaking uh, bona fides. It's like six seven, six six, something like that. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Mavericks ended up trading up. They got him at the third pick, so they traded with Atlanta. We'll talk more about that in a second. Well, I guess he's only 6'6", so he would have been more of a perimeter guy. Understandably, the Kings do have a lot of wings in Bogdan Bogdanovich and um, freaking um, Buddy Heald. So they might want to get like bigger size with the wing, but he's got good size, though, for being 6'6". So... I mean, he was my number one prospect coming into the draft. And, yeah, honestly, surprised he didn't go too, man. I'm really surprised. But Bagley, he's another intriguing pick, obviously. He was the one um, uh, guy who wanted to go to... Sacramento actually who I was reading about everybody else was kind of very like eh, about going there oh, for obvious reasons man I'm under, completely understandable and I I get it I get it I completely get it but like god damn I'm just disappointed ah man I don't I don't know I don't know I'm gonna I was very high on the Dante's train I need to get on the Bagley bandwagon, but it just all hit me like right now because I was freaking kind of all in on this. And the signs were like pointing towards Bagley being taken, uh, you know, for the last like week or so, just seeing on Twitter and seeing everything. They, uh, all the leaks and everyone was just speculating that Bagley was going to be the one taken. Seeing Carmichael Davies trying to throw everybody off because all the fans are definitely one that wanted Luca, and a lot of the leagues weren't necessarily coming from Sacramento, but it's like, fuck, bro. Oh man. Dang. Now I gotta freaking listen to Bagley's mixtape too, just to figure out what the fuck's going on. Yeah, Marvin's been a freaking crazy prospect for a while now. And honest to God, I've been, I've seen film of him going back a couple of years, back when he was in high school. Because some of his highlight clips of him jamming on foes, oh, it was just disgusting, man. The ferociousness this dude brings with his dunks and athleticism was just freaking crazy. So he used to tear down the rim, and the uh, like his com- com- competition in high school was just like it's non-existent. It was crazy. So at least some of the highlights that I used to see. Um, 
man. Yeah, big man. We'll see. We'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. I gotta read up more on his story. Um, oh, apparently his grandfather was also drafted number two. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. I really hope the best for him. I really do. I really hope he's the guy. I really, 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 really hope he's the guy. I really do. He's, I mean, big man, 6'11". He's got some offensive game. The knocks on him were some defensive attention and, you know, um, awareness and what have you. So we'll see what happens. Let's see. Let's read the scouting report a little bit more. Mm, let's see. Please don't tell me this is a video because I don't want to watch that shit right now. What you got for me? What you got for me? Yep, like I said, terrific athlete. You know, great body. 6'11, very long. Very explosive. That should be fun. So he, he'll be a lob candidate guy for Fox or um, the rest of the team. So he'll probably take minutes away from a couple different guys. Costa Cuvas being one, Zach Randolph being two, Willie Colley-Stein being three, four, possibly Harry Giles, five. Um, who's I thinking? Scal LeVissier. Scout's more of an outside perimeter guy, so you might be able to play them both together. Play Bagley at center. <sighs> yeah, he's got room to grow. Um, not real super defined. This is a lot of it is just that rawness, man. Still, yeah, like defensive awareness. He's not. He's not there all the time. You know. Wingspan isn't the greatest. Yeah, they say he's left-handed dominant, but you can get away with that in the NBA. I freaking saw Sharif Abdul-Rahim play for, what, 12 seasons at least in the NBA with only a left hand. Now, I didn't watch him play, but apparently, what's his name? Um, All-time winning is coach. What is it? Um... Oh, shoot. Let's see. Most winningest NBA coaches. Lenny Wilkins. Apparently, all he could do was dribble left. But he got it done. Made the Hall of Fame. Let's see. Yeah. Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Just that little left puck. If Bagley can just make that, oof, he'd be very good. Needs to work on his jumper. Keep working on that jumper. So, yeah, I think they, they would rather go for the more crazier um, 
athletic potential there than they had with uh, Luca. But Luca, I think, is more in tune with the game. He's more of like a just a gamer and all an all out baller in that sense. But I wanted to talk to my little bro about Bagley because I didn't watch too much of him at Duke. I've seen you know stuff of him, but he was part of the reason why they were playing zone all seasons because of his lack of attention, just getting caught off guard playing one on one. Wendell Carter Jr. when he was out there, it was hard for them to play both of them at the same time because it clogged the paint a lot of times. Wendell was out there shooting threes in the corner and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I kind of was more impressed at times with Wendell Carter than I was with Bagley seeing him. Bagley was obviously the more highly touted prospect, but Carter Jr. fills in in the game a lot better. Um, in my opinion, like his game has more depth to it than Bagley's. Like I'm concerned, Marvin is just gonna be a guy who's uh, a 20 and 10 guy that doesn't necessarily do the other things that are necessary for your basketball team to be as successful or maximizes it as much as possible. That he might be a very good stats guy on a bad team, but if uh, the other mental aspects of his game can round out, then you know that has potential. The problem is, some kinds of ways. Sometimes the ways guys are hardwired is kind of just who they are, and that's just their inherent flaw. Some people's flaws are physical. Other people's flaws are are mental or spiritual or whatever it is, emotional, for, you know, for different things. So potentially that could be a mental flaw for him, but I hope not. And right now I gotta get on the Bagley bandwagon, like I said. So yeah, I gotta jump on that shit, man. Honestly, if Luka Doncic would have gotten drafted, I would have gotten him a King, gotten a Kings jersey before season started. But I gotta play wait and see again, man. I might have to get me a bogey. I think a bogey is the next the next purchase there, unless De'Aaron keeps getting better. We'll see. We'll see. Cause bogey, I like him a lot, but his max like ceiling and where he tops out in the NBA might just be the streaky score type and those kind of guys sometimes bounce around the league a lot so i'm the type of dude that wants to keep a jersey for a dude who sticks around the squad for a minute where it's kind of like an era that kind of defines them at least as much as i can i had a fuck up when i picked thomas robinson as the guy that i wanted to uh, get a jersey of a few years ago for the kings because i thought okay he's a young dude who just got drafted and want to stick around the team for a minute and develop the dude was like just super meh and just was nothing and like I like this number zero and I got a retro jersey where it was uh, the one with the um, the checkers on the sides with half purple and half black on it like kind of down the middle the, the, the ones that were in the 90s um, but yeah I fucking traded his ass literally like the next day I got the jersey I fucking ordered that shit I was so hyped on it mm. oh well you live and you learn tis what it is so Bagley bandwagon, we on it, we jumping on it, we going, we gonna keep it moving, the steaming, steaming engine, the locomotive. So yeah, Bagley goes two, kind of surprising, but before the season started, I think he was one of the cons- uh, consistent number one overall picks. So I think Porter Jr. might have been number one, he might have been number two. He was up there, regardless. Um, yeah. A lot of pluses, but a lot of minuses. He's one of those guys that has to bring take stuff off the table, I would say. At least initially, or like at least that would be the scouting report. We'll have to see how he plays. Uh, 
Because sometimes the guys, they get to the league and they hit a different intensity. They just like mature and they, or they get, once they're just kind of in the thick of things, sometimes it brings the best out of them. Other guys, it sometimes it brings the worst out of them, just the environment. So we'll see how he adapts and how he, he brings it. Especially in Sacramento, it's because it's a unique case. Not a lot of picks have, you know, been successful and like been able to win there recently. None have been able to win there, I should say, at least on a consistent basis recently. So, we'll uh, we'll move move on from there. It's fucking crazy. Uh, anyway, yeah. So Dallas, they got Luka Doncic, so they get to go. Dirk Nowitzki, greatest European player of all time in the NBA, to the greatest touted, highly touted, most highly touted NBA prospect ever in Luka Doncic so they get to kind of book in that so he yeah they traded up from five though they traded up with Atlanta so Atlanta got the fifth pick so but before Atlanta gets their pick Memphis got Jaron Jackson Jr. who's another big there's a lot of bigs taken in the top 10 this year it's kind of kind of crazy so Jackson apparently he's got some raw potential out of Michigan State I didn't see too too much of him last year like hardly at all so I'm, I'm going to hold off my judgment for him. Here he's like that raw athletic type of dude. Um, but yeah, apparently he kind of like came in and out sometimes. So he had good games and so other games he kind of didn't see him as much. So there's that. And then to the fifth pick, Atlanta Hawks end up trading back and getting Trey Young of all people, man, for number five. This was really surprising. Trey Young was one of those dudes who, we, you know, on the draft boards, everybody was like sliding up and down. Up and down, you're like, oh, he could go super high, he could go in the middle, he can go out of the lottery, maybe even. He could have slid that far because he's kind of has that boomer bust potential with him, being a smallerish type of dude with a very electric handle and jump shot, which can excite anybody and just take over ball games. And it's it's one of those just like kind of checkmate type of moves that you can kind of get if you're that on and that raw as a as a score like the size almost doesn't even matter at that point but you know there's a difference between being able to do it at the college level and the nba level because there's only one steph curry and for every steph there's a bunch of jimmer fedettes and of the like a bunch of dudes like that who have a jumper in college but it just doesn't translate jj reddick for a while everyone thought maybe i'll go like adam morrison maybe more so but like reddick Worked himself into a good NBA player, but was never the superstar that he was in college because that's like a different different level. He never had it to handle like that. Um, Steph Steph had it all together. So Trey Young is like one of those shoot first point guards uh, or guards, I should say. Maybe not necessarily point. What you would deem as a point guard, he's like a small shooting guard, pretty much. It's like a difference, kind of like Allen Iverson was a small shooting guard. He wasn't a point guard, so he had to play a guy that. Was willing to defer and like set the offense up for him, which was like Eric Snow for a bit, and like you know things like that. You got to have a good matchup, like for a backcourt, you got to have like the yin and the yang there. Um, so like if you have a Michael Jordan, then you you only need a John Paxson, or if you have a Michael Jordan, then you you only need a Steve Kerr. You don't need um a Mark Jackson or an Isaiah Thomas necessarily. So it's like the yin and the yang of a backcourt there a little bit. Mm, so the compl- they got to complement each other. So, um, Yeah, but Atlanta, they have him, Dennis Schroeder, Bazemore, 
some of the guys, I guess. Um, yeah, that, so they're, they're kind of shooting for the stars there, hoping he's got that uh, superstar potential. I get like I guess one of the jokes I heard on the ring earlier today. I was watching their feed on it on the draft. Was like uh, all twenty seven of their fans are going <laughs> might get all upset or whatever if they this shit doesn't work out. Especially because they over some people thought they overthought it. They should just got Luca when the, the pick fell to them at three. But anyway, moving on. Orlando Magic pick up another big Mohammed Bamba out of Texas, and he's got some. Very raw, skinny, athletic potential in him. Apparently, he's been working on his shooting. He's there's that very video clip that went viral of him just making a bunch of threes in a row. So we'll see. He goes to Orlando, and that's kind of where a lot of these uh, big men go to not develop, unless your name's Dwight Howard or Shaq. Well, what am I talking about? That's two of the, you know craziest like physical forces we've seen in the NBA in a while in the last like 30 years um what am I talking about anyway maybe Bamba's the next one of them who knows mm, thing, yeah another big man though but then moving on the aforementioned Wendell Carter Jr. goes to the Chicago Bulls at number 7 just a more big man bunch of big man in a league that's going more towards scoring and more towards pace and more towards wing play and guard play or at least guys that are capable but you know what maybe it's in reflection of this year's talent maybe it's just the wing talent wasn't up to par of what it should be in comparison to the big man so who knows maybe now we'll have maybe more of a resurgence of some of the big guys the big fellas or in terms of their impact in the game because there's there's been some times where things kind of get la- get to lacking um certain positions kind of you know go up and down i guess and the center is a hard thing too because there's only so many large human beings like that size in the world and there's only so many of them that are going to be wanted and attracted to be playing basketball so and there's only going to be so many that are going to be like actually have talent at it and good at it so your pool of candidates entering the job market are more limited than say a guy who's playing shooting guard it's just a numbers game, man. There's way more people that are like six four to six seven than there are people who are six ten to seven five or whatever. Seven four, seven three. It's hardly ever see guys that tall. Um But yeah, Wendell Carter Jr., another big from out of Duke. He goes to Chicago. Colin Sexton goes to Cleveland Cavaliers. I did not watch him play at all. We'll reserve judgment. Apparently he's a, a point guard who's ball dominant, who is not necessarily a shooter. So doesn't project to be maybe the greatest compliment to LeBron James. But, yeah. Um, LeBron's probably gone. I don't know if people have known, uh, if uh, most people know this right now, but yeah. I think he's got one foot out the door. He's got like about three quarters of his body out the door. I don't know where it's at. I don't know what the percentage is, but yeah, I think he's... Uh, the dude's gone, man. I think he's gone. On to number nine. We got Kevin Knox, another young prospect. This guy's out of Kentucky. He's like a three. I think he's like six nine. Something like that. So we'll see what happens with him. Michael Bridges goes to Phoenix. Number ten. I think he was originally drafted by 
Philly, and I think Philly traded down with them. So Phoenix had another pick. So anyway, so they got Michael Bridges out of Villanova. He's, uh, I think, going to be a solid player. He's one of the guys like everyone talked about as having the low floor or high floor. Maybe a lower ceiling than some of the guys picked behind him, but he's a guy that you know for sure what his role is and how he's going to fit in. I don't know how he'll do in Phoenix. Sometimes these guys like that, the way their careers work is it depends on like the level of the team that they're on or how good their teammates are because guys who are complimentary, if your the rest of your teammate is like trash, then you're not complimenting shit. You're putting, you know, a garnish on a piece of crap plate, pretty much. And it doesn't even matter because it's a piece of crap. Versus if you have something that's like the poo-poo platter or something that's real nice gourmet, and you can throw the garnish on that, that shit might set it off, you know? It's like, kind of like that. So, um, if he goes to Phoenix and they struggle a bit, or if there's locker room tension and things like that, uh, who knows how big of an impact he could have. But if he's like on a team that's maybe like contending or making, you know, uh, in a playoff spot or something to that nature in competitive games, you know, you might be able to see the best of him. Who knows? Maybe he's like part of the answer there in Phoenix. Maybe that whole crew kind of figures it out. We got Aiton, Booker, Jackson, Bridges. That's not the worst little core to, to have, I guess. We'll see how that kind of plays out. Uh, next season and into the future. And moving on, we got the Clippers. This is a very interesting one. They originally had the 12th and the 13th pick. But uh, they got Shai Gilgis out of Alexander out of Kentucky as well, SGA. Um, at the 11th pick, which was originally the Hornets. And the Hornets trade down with them one spot. They pick up Miles Bridges, which is uh, the wing player... It's kind of a tweener out of uh, um, Michigan State. And, I, like, the college game is deceiving at times because he's listed as 6'6", but he, when he was in college, he looked like 6'8". It's because it's, like, it's deceiving sometimes. The um, dimensions and the dynamics on the court compared to kind of what you expected on the NBA. So what he did in Michigan State, We'll see if how it can translate because like these tweener guys, it's either they can figure it out and they can do both things pretty well, play physical against some of the smaller wings, or play more athletic than some of the slower bigs, or it's the opposite where they don't fit in one way or the other, and they're too slow to guard the wings, and they're not big enough to guard the bigs. Like size wise, not physical strength, but maybe size wise, length. So we'll see what he could do. I know he's been trying to work on that outside game more and more. We'll see if that continues. He goes to Charlotte. And Jerome Robinson, not going to talk about him. Don't know much. He's on the Clippers. Michael Porter Jr. Drops all the way down to the Denver Nuggets at 14. Now, Porter Jr. before the season was projected number one overall coming out of high school. And then the back issue happened. And then the hip issues happened. And, yeah, it's uh, not looking good medically for him. I know, uh, <laughs> what's his name uh, from the ringer? 
uh, Jason Concepcion at Network. That dude, he uh, was making fun of him. It was fucking funny. <laughs> He's talking about the old man Waka walking up the stairs, man. It's like, shh. it's like, not even, don't even talk about playing basketball, man. It's talking about like walking as a normal human being, bro. It's like little steps. So he's got a lot of health question marks, but a lot of potential being that he's like, what, 6'11", I think, and he's just a pretty damn good shooter, athletic player, when he's healthy. So we'll see what happens. Wizards get Troy Brown. I don't know much. Zaire Smith goes to Philly. Um, Yeah, that's their project. That's the, the guy they traded down to get instead of Michael Bridges. When you saw Bridges there, you were like, hmm, okay, maybe that's, uh, you know, they're saying like this composition, comparison was Robert Covington, so you're like, all right, maybe it's Covington part two, but maybe not, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. This guy, I think Zaire Smith's a little bit more of like um, a developmental type player. And yeah, they also had a future un- a future unprotected first with the deal in 2021. So yeah. So they have like a riskier prospect so that they got and they got um some a pick. So yeah. Um uh, he a little bit more of a of a raw prospect I I guess you would say. So let's see what Zaire Smith what he does. Uh why do I care so much about this guy? I think it's cuz it was a trade. There's so many like trades and Fake trades and everything. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the rest of the first round. We'll just go through the first round because I ain't going to go through the second. It's just annoying. That's a lot of picks. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, 17 to the Bucks, bro. Dude with the problematic tweets from when he was like 15. Homeboy scores like 30-plus points in the national title game. After I think only scoring like 10 or something like that. The rest of the tournament. The most he scored. He just went off. And won the most outstanding player. And was just freaking lights out. Like unreal. Unreal that night. 17 to the Milwaukee Bucks. This is like a weird thing. Because. I mean the guy has cojones. He's going to shoot. He's not afraid to take the last shot. You want guys like that. Or you need guys like that to a certain degree. But how much of it was a flash in the pan, really? It seemed kind of crazy when I saw that he was coming out of college at that point. But, shit, if I would have been top 20 pick, too, I would have done it also. Regardless of the game that you got at the time. That shit just means... That's pretty... That seems like a crazy rise to me. I don't know. Seems a little out there. But DiVincenzo goes 17. 18 is the Spurs. They get Lonnie Walker. Uh, Atlanta Hawks get Kevin uh, Hoiter, Hoiter, Huter, uh, Kevin Huter. Let's look at this guy. Don't know who he is. Don't know who he looks like. Let's see what you got for me. Oh, he went to Maryland. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, okay. Cool. 
Josh Okoji goes to Minnesota. Don't know where he's from. Grayson Allen goes to Utah. So, white guy goes to Utah. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. It's like Boston and Utah and Minnesota own like the Indiana. They have like the, not the Monopoly, but they got like the penchant for the lighter melatonin. Is uh, or lack of melatonin is one way to put it. Um, we'll see if uh, all that dirty shit plays with the Utah fan base that is, you know, about doing things shit the right way. Uh, oh God, why am I sitting this way? Oh, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm all hunched over on my couch, like white. Does you have a couch? You're not supposed to be hunched over. Mm. I have an iPad too Put this shit on my lap mm, Chandler Hutchinson For the Bulls Big wing The third Holiday brother Aaron Holiday Got drafted in the first By the Pacers Anthony Simmons uh, Went to the Trailblazers Moritz Mo Wagner Wagner To the Lakers Big Big guy Help leave Michigan Out there to uh, The front four this season, so I gotta see him play a few times in the tournament. Mm, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Bill Simmons was saying, like, you're gonna see a lot of him clapping on the sideline, cheering on uh, Lonzo, cheering on uh, LeBron or Kawhi or Paul George or whoever. Hopefully, not all three of those guys, but yeah. Let's see. Let's see, Philadelphia Sixers get Landry Shemit. No clue. Big man Robert Williams goes to the Celtics. Warriors take Jacob Evans. Let's see. The Nets get Zanan Musa, international prospect. And the Hawks get Omari Spellman. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, this year is just like, I don't know. It was really top-heavy as soon as I see the Kings got the number two pick. I just didn't do too much of that research deep into the depth of the draft. Kings did have a second-round pick, but the motherfuckers traded that shit for, what was it, a first-rounder later in a couple years, something like that? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. As always with drafts, it's like years later. It takes years. Literally, the only time, the only way you can decide if it's successful is time. It's the frustrating shit about it, but tis what it is. And let's see. Yeah, so that's kind of my like NBA draft breakdown. That's all the shit that I kind of been wanting to talk about, but uh, yeah. Now I think we can do that transition into the uh, world of uh, football. It is World Cup fever, like I mentioned before. Shit is going crazy. And I'm just going to start off the rip. My L3 squad came through freaking the upset. Probably the biggest win ever, 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 ever. In my lifetime, biggest win. Against the World Cup defending champions, the freaking Germans. Oh my God, I still can't believe it happened. It's been damn near a week now. It's been like, what, five, six days, and it's 
It's still crazy. Or Sunday. It happened on Sunday. It was four days. What the fuck? I, I can... Whatever. It's <laughs> They blend into each other. Man. The team played perfect. They just came out on attack at the first 30 minutes of the game and were just caught Germany just flat-footed, just right off the bat, just right off the rip. Just brought it to them. They came with that attacking formation. They brought in um, Carlos Vela as kind of the... Uh, attacking midfielder role playing underneath Chicharito they had Chucky Lozano out on the left and then they had Miguel Ayun out on the right see this is how versatile of a player Miguel Ayun is because he can play out on the wing up top or he can play wing back or you can make him play midfield or you can play a traditional like uh, right back left back position like he's so fucking good it's kind of crazy, but he was really fluid. It was fluid with uh, Lozano and Layun and, and the guys moving back and back and forth, because um, those guys did defend a lot later. Uh, Layun especially, he dropped back uh, in the second half a lot more than he did in the first. But he was playing a lot more uh, up up the pitch uh, from the get go, and they were freaking just on the run, just on the go, ca- catching them on the counters. They were playing um, coy defense defensively, and then just bombing them. And shout out to the midfield. They completely outplayed Germany. Uh, Andres Guardado was uh, very, very good on, on the defensive side and setting the table. He let off a couple screamers uh, that uh, we kind of predicted. Uh, me and my homie Miguel, when we talked about this last week, um, around the box, that uh, they didn't connect, but that's just what he does. He might, he'll get one every once in a while, um, and it'll change the game. So... He played well, but the guy that really stuck out in the midfield was Ache Ache, freaking uh, Hector Herrera. He was uh, amazing. He just put in the craziest amount of work. I think he had um, man, the amount of like kilometers he ran that game were just insane. He was just running around everywhere. He was everywhere. He laid it out. He really, really did. It was uh, it was pretty damn crazy, man. Um, let me see here. Um, Let's see. Got to do some quick Google searching. Um, yeah, man. It was crazy. They, uh, they got that goal. Chucky Lozano, man. Chicharito. It was, it was pretty much exactly that. I think Hector Herrera had a... Uh, change of possession in midfield they got it over to Vela Vela advanced the ball up to Chicharito Chicharito laid it off to Chucky who made a run down the left side Chucky had the German defense all turned around I think it was like Mesut Ozil who was back there defending at that point which is not what you want as a German fan um, because their center backs were like playing or just did not have a good day and all their fullbacks played super far up the pitch. They're, they want to attack. And so it left their defense, it left their midfielders and their, their center to, uh, backs like super exposed on those counters. So that's where Mexico really took advantage of them because they had like guys like uh, Kimich who were attacking out on the outside. He was playing up so much, very, very lethal and dangerous and I was very scared every time he got a cross in from the outside but they did enough to defend those man they did just held off they got you know foot on the ball as much as they needed to deflections everything you know 
they uh um it was a chatonganas man that's like pretty much it i mean that's just like the mexican stick-to-itiveness type of uh vibe that uh they just kind of pretty much did man damn crazy shout out to mad bum got this update bum garner finally had his first ace performance of the season because he missed a lot because he broke his hand in uh, spring training but missed his first two or lost his first two games today he got a win eight k's through eight scoreless innings of work also drove in the uh i guess it would be the game winning run i think because uh, you got a sack fly to start things off start the scoring for the giants today what a fucking game for for Mad Bum, man. He's like one of those few players that can do like fucking everything. But goddamn. Yo. Fucking crazy. Back to this game. Back to this game, though. Uh, shout out to Rafa Marquez. He came on late, 74th minute, and got to see some action. Held it down, and they were trying to hold uh, hold it down defensively. Um, they uh, He did the damn thing. We had a... Uh, uh, who else? Edson Alvarez came in for Carlos Vela to give him some uh, some more support there in the midfield as a defensive midfielder. And then uh, Raul Jimenez also came in for Chucky after Chucky looked like he gassed out about two thirds of the way through. It's like on sixty six minute. Yep. So uh, Jimenez is more. I was projecting a more of an out and out striker as like. Uh, um, the number nine role, but he was playing out on the wing. He came in for Chucky as a like for like sub, so he he went up over to the left, um, which he can do. I've seen him doing it a little bit before. It's just uh, he's more of a bigger winger out there when he when they play him in that position. Uh, he can hold his own, and he did a, a good enough job of uh, you know helping them kill the game out at the end. Man, the emotion in the game, the emotion in the stands, the emotion afterwards, the emotion for by me waking up on Sunday morning to go after having gone out the first the two nights prior and after uh, drinking uh, half a freaking it wasn't a fit. It was like the smaller bottles like tequila. Yeah. I fucking passed out, bro. I <laughs> drank myself to fucking sleep. That shit was crazy, though. Everyone was going crazy. Um, and El Zocolo, they were going crazy in Los Angeles. They were going crazy in Moscow. They were going crazy everywhere, bro. In freaking Dallas. They were going crazy in Cancun. Freaking um, Michoacan. In Guadalajara. In... Uh, Zacatecas and everywhere, Guerrero, every, all all of them, everywhere, Cabo, um, Monterrey, um, Torreon, they're everywhere, bro. They were fucking, we're just, just going crazy, bro. Fucking love that shit, man. Fucking love that shit. It was a uh, um crazy performance, and you could definitely tell, man. Freaking Semi Kedira out there in midfield, he was just he didn't have enough for them. Uh, Muller didn't didn't bring enough either, and yeah, that was uh, they did what they needed to do, man. Plattenhart was running around on the side too. It's like yeah, Timo Werner 
was supposed to be their like wonder kid striker now and they kind of put him in there at that number nine role what germany does is they just they just plug and play those guys but he didn't do enough for them and it, he had his moments every now and then the, the defense was really solid um for mexico uh i want to see who fucking played in the game though uh, let's see box score Let's see. <laughs> Other thing too is the freaking Mexican fans had the Buto chance out and running him and uh which cost him about ten thousand dollars, which is uh um what called? Not very much. Ten thousand bucks, that's not much. Still sucks though. Still trying to stop, knock that shit off. Um, everyone, match football match summary. Boom. Here we go. Here we go. Man, I can't believe they held on. That was that was fucking crazy. Oh man, Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow. Ugh. Oh my god, so so insane. Carlos Sacedo. Um shit, dude. Hugo Ayala, Hector Moreno. Man, they don't have Nesta Araujo and Diego Reyes due to injury and they still put it together in the back line. Still did it, bro. They still fucking did it. I don't know played so well against Kimmich. I, man. Oh, man. Took advantage of him. Took fucking advantage of him. But yeah, Boateng and Hummel in the back was just, just wasn't it this time. And it was more, I think, Hummels than it was Boateng. But like we said, it was more because Plattenhardt and Kimmich were just running up the field all the time. <sighs> Jesus. It was crazy. It was fucking crazy. I still can't believe it. So, yeah. Mexico got the victory. Three points. And that was the three biggest points that they could have gotten anywhere in this tournament. Yeah. And this tournament's very, very tipsy-topsy. So, like, we'll we'll start to break it down. We'll go group by group. Because mm, I've been watching most of these games. Or at least some of the highlights. Bro, I've been freaking waking up super crazy early and just going to work and putting that shit up on one of my monitors and just like having the headphones in and like watching some of it sometimes and whoo it's just crazy it's just crazy shout out to Telemundo too they're fucking amazing uh I think Raj uh uh Roger Bennett from uh Men in Blazers was on the um Rich Eisen show and he was talking about the wonders of Telemundo and he was explaining to him like man for everybody else, the score was three three for the Portugal Spain match, but on Telemundo, the score was nine nine. <laughs> like that, this is how fucking the level of excitement that is. That watching it, freaking Andres Cantor is like the freaking gift of God. Like I, I fucking love that dude. That dude is amazing. He could do no wrong. I want him calling every major soccer match like I've ever seen or heard. I was me and my dad and my family were driving around Los Angeles one time as Team USA was playing in a World Cup. Um, 
eight years ago, 2010, in South America, or South Africa. Yeah, wrong essay. So anyway, they were playing, um, was that the one they had, Algeria or Tunisia? It was uh, the one where they had the last minute um, Howard out to who did he pass it out to he passed it out to someone who got it out to donovan it was like two passes i was like bang bang down the field donovan gets to the defender and scores the game-winning goal and wins it in like stoppage time right at the end of the match and it was like the most insane call goal combination like ever and we were going insane and like yeah, Andres Cantor is a god. So like, anytime you hear him on a call, you just like you just want him. You want him calling your your uh, your match. Him, I really like uh, the Univision. Uh, I kind of like the Univision guys too. They're just funny because it's like a rotating like cast of three. Like Enrique Bermudez, just the na- the way his like the deepness in his voice. He can get annoying at some sometimes. All the guys can get annoying to their own like way. Cantor is amazing though. He's freaking, I love him. Um. But yeah, we'll go through Group A. How about Russia though? What the fuck? I've been like calling like Russian collusion for a while now, and somebody was talking. About, there's a lot of the the deep rumors that like Sergio Ramos is like a a part of this like Russian splinter cell, uh, deep cell that like is uh, with the grand uh, like you know scheme of trying to get to the deep in the World Cup with the, the playing the long play long con with the. Uh, Having him injured Mohamed Salah with Egypt, which was like one of the main competitions for them to make it out of the group. But uh, regardless, they stomped on Saudi Arabia 5 nothing, which was kind of crazy. And now this is where like the conspiracy theories really start to flow here. It's because uh, Mohammed bin Salman, which is the um, leader of Saudi Arabia pretty much, uh, had a meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin prior to the start of the match. Um, you know... And they were sitting on the box together and, you know, uh, you know, talking with each other, the OPEC nation guys and all that shit. Um, in front of, uh, like, right in between them was, like, the head of FIFA and all that stuff, too. So uh, every time Russia scored a goal, Vladimir would be looking over at, like, Ben Salman, like, I, I don't know what happened. I, I guess we score again. I don't know. I don't know. I just like it's, it's a surprising thing, but uh, maybe not. I do, I do not know. <laughs> and Mohammed bin Salman was looking over there with a sheepish grin, like, "Yes, you give me, give me lots of money." <laughs> I can't do this accent. I can't do Saudi accent. Um, but yeah, he was like, "Yeah, bro, you give me lots of money and shit." You know, tell him to back down. That's all good. We'll give you like eighty percent effort, seventy percent effort, and you got y'all do your thing. But I guess the way the flow of the match it didn't necessarily happen that way because a lot all the goal, well, hmm, maybe not because the goals poured in at the second half. So maybe it was like we're doing our thing and then okay, it didn't work. Now we're just gonna shit the bed or maybe hey, let's not make it a shit show all the way through. Who knows? Who knows how how it can work out? I mean, there's another scandalous things that have happened, and I mean a victory for Russia in the opening match against Saudi Arabia is not surprising. It's the manner at which it happened. It was like five goals. It's just like, whoa, wait a minute. Like This just seems kind of out there. Because the Russian uh, national team is just like, in the past, just looked very, very subpar. Could also be that they're doping as well, too. Because that's a very legitimate case that, uh, you know, Russia's been accused of in the past. And has, like, uh, been caught red-handed multiple times. But... 
uh, by the IOC when they had the Sochi Olympics. So there's that whole fiasco. Definitely go watch Icarus. I would definitely recommend that. It's a Netflix documentary, um, and it is pretty insane, and it goes in deep, deep, deep about the Russian doping and everything that happened. One of the best documentaries on Netflix, in my opinion. At least the ones that are still up there now. You know how it goes. It goes on. It goes off. It's on Hulu. It's it's nowhere to be found. It's back again. All that jazz. It's kind of crazy. It's like a matter of who has the rights. It's like I think back on like all this, all the hours of stuff I watch and how much of that stuff is not available anymore. And you like tell people to go watch it, and it's like, I don't know where it is. Can't find it. Anyway, so like yeah. Russia was six points. They they took a win against Egypt in the last match, and that was a hard fought victory. I'm not gonna lie, but I think they still won like what three nothing or something. I can't, I can't remember. Let me see. Um, I'll go back. Nope, 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 nope. Results. That's what I need. I need some results. Mm, Russia, where are you? Where are you? Yeah, it was 3-1. 3-1 was the final. But yeah, Mohamed finally played in the second match, but it wasn't enough. He didn't get a chance to play in the first, and they lost one nothing to Uruguay, which was a dramatic dramatic victory for them. So Uruguay got two wins already in Group A. So they beat uh, Saudi Arabia one nothing, and that was actually a very, very difficult matchup for Uruguay. The Saudis were really playing 11 dudes behind the ball and were just like doing as much as they could to force a draw. Mm, weren't able to do so and it was what it was it was difficult so that's uh, pretty much all of group A so Russia and Uruguay will be advancing that final matchup will determine who gets to be the one seed and who will be the two seed out of group A um, yeah and that one I think is coming up in a few days anyway moving on group B this is, uh, we've got uh, three teams still alive in this group. And legitimately, any one of them can go, you know, be eliminated. Although not very likely, could happen. So we got Spain, Portugal, and Iran. And Morocco, a.k.a. Marruecos in Spanish. Um, they, unfortunately, are kaput. They took two losses. So, Spain and Portugal, though, these look like the two powerhouses in this group, and it is kind of crazy because um, that first matchup that they had, that they had was a 3-3 game where Ronaldo got a hat-trick, Costa had a brace, and a crazy goal where it was like freaking punt the ball up in the air like Shane Leckler style, like just all the way down, have a dude, box the dude out, you know, juke a guy, get a shot off and score a goal. It was like freaking insane. Like some like backyard shit. And uh Ronaldo scored like the crazy free kick to tie it like at the end of the match. And this shit was like literally inches away from Sergio Busquets' face. And it was I don't know how it made to hit that cop corner, but it did. So that was a crazy matchup and they tied each other. But then both teams came out and played. Uh, Portugal played well Iran beat Morocco in the first matchup, the other one. And then eventually, Iran played Portugal, and Spain played Morocco, or the other way around. Regardless, Spain and Portugal both won. 
So technically, I think if Iran wins the next match, they advance, but that's going to be tough. They only have three points. Spain and Portugal both have four. So if uh, basically Iran needs to win. If Iran, unless, well, hmm, if Morocco somehow miraculously beats Portugal and Iran ties, they have a chance with goal differential depending on what the tie is. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of machinations and all that stuff. Uh, it's kind of crazy with uh, the way it uh, the way it all breaks down with these groups. Um, I actually want to see what's gonna happen. Spain is playing Morocco. That's what it was. So Spain played. Iran and beat Iran. They beat them one nothing, and that was a tough match. I remember watching that one. It was very similar to the way Iran played Argentina the four years before in the World Cup, where they took them all the way down to the wire, and then Messi scored a freaking crazy goal. We cut up on like five defenders. It was crazy, but uh, this time around it was Diego Costa who scored the goal, and it was kind of a deflection in the box off of a defender and it hit his knee. Off like a cross or something or passing in there. And his knee was just there. He wasn't like kicking the ball or anything. It just bounced off his knee and it deflected into the goal and he scored. So a goal is 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 a goal. Nobody's going to take that away. It was just like super weird and odd, odd way to do it. Um, But they get the victory. Mm. Had they not win, that would have been ridiculous, ridiculous loss for them. That would have been very devastating. So, that's good for them. We'll go back to Group uh, C. So, yeah, it'll be Portugal and it'll be Spain. More likely than not, unless all hell breaks loose and Ronaldo's, like, gone with uh, an injury in the fifth minute or something. Super insane. And Morocco just scores off a corner kick. Deflected in or whatever the fuck. So, that's Group B. That's what's going to happen. And we've got Francia in Group C with, oh yeah, Denmark, and then Australia and Peru in third and fourth, and hasta luego, mis amigos peruanos, hasta la próxima Copa Mundial, ojalá que ustedes puedan clasificar otra vez, yo sé que... Um, ha hecho como 36 años en medio de mundiales para su país ese puede ser muy muy difícil especialmente considerando uh, las circunstancias en donde ustedes tenían oportunidades para ganar en, en los dos uh, partidos oh, qué suerte qué mala suerte Man, very, very unlucky, the Peruvians. I just want to wish them, you know, them and their whole fan base have been amazing. I just want to wish them nothing but the best moving forward. I hope they can qualify for the next World Cup because it's been 36 years, as I was saying, in between their two visits to the, to the, the World Cup. They had a very bad situation in the 80s for the, comp uh, the country was very uh, crippled and they had inflation and everything. And the soccer infrastructure really declined. So they've recently... They've been building and building and building. They got, uh, you know, Pablo Guerreros of the world up top. And I'm trying to think who else. Cueva is good. Carrillo I really like. Um, 
and um, I'm missing their number 10. Who the fuck? Uh, who the hell was their number 10? Um, let's see. Why did I close that tab? Oh, man. But, yeah, Peru. Like, I got a lot of friends that are there. My freaking... The... Um, uh, whatchamacallit? Chica works the front desk for our work is Peruvian and she and her husband flew out to Russia just to go watch. Oh man. It was crazy. It was freaking crazy. I can't believe they went out there. Let's see. Jefferson Farfan. That was the name I was freaking forgetting. He was number ten for them. He was this man, such a short run. Such a such a short run. So sad. So so sad. Anyway. Yeah, there was two devastating losses to uh the Denmark was the first one. That was that was a tough one where they got uh, caught on a counter just uh just one play just beat them in the second half and they were they had the more attacking team, they had the better chances and they just couldn't finish. They had the VAR replay with the penalty with Cueva, who and he had to come in and take it, and he just boofed it pretty much, just missed it over the crossbar, and it was it was bad news. They couldn't make anything go. They didn't start Pablo Guerrero, and they didn't bring him on until late. Like he he made an impact, but it wasn't enough. And giving him enough time to operate, get as many opportunities. He had some half chances, but <sighs> got to do better, man. Gots to do better. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, against France, that was pretty devastating this morning. We were watching, uh, I was watching that matchup, and they just scored once. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. Uh, let's see. Let's check this out. Mbappe scored. I can't remember if it was a PK or what. We're going to cut this volume because there's going to be an ad playing. Shout out to Zlatan. Ibrahimovic and Visa. Even though I don't have a Visa. Damn, what the fuck? Telemundo. Oh my God. Yo, the freaking Spanish stations, did you be putting eye candy just to be putting eye candy out? They've had these chicks that look ridiculous and then some dudes are <laughs> like big old muscular and just like shirts off um damn man Guerrero he played and he played well against France against today had so many chances but uh they couldn't get the right strike to go oh yeah that's right it was freaking Giroud playing it in to uh he got the shot Pogba set him up, got a shot, it got deflected, and then Mbappe got the, uh, um, just the rebound and tapped it in. It's one of those right play, right time type of moments, and Peru were just freaking working so tough, so tough, so hard the whole matchup. <sighs> Man, that's freaking rough. That's a rough one for them. That one's rough. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Bruh, anyway 
Anyway, we'll go back to the uh, the grupos. We're watching this. I just want to see this chick in the background. This, this chick in the white shot in <laughs> this bikini is like, man, she look crazy. She got that crazy definition in her abs. Like, woof, that shit be going, woof, ugh. Ooh, that throws me wild. Oof, man. I gotta stop. <laughs> I gotta fucking stop. It's late. It's late, Mario. There's gonna be the creeper mode coming out. Don't wanna do that. But yeah, France France traditionally is one of those teams that's got to build momentum, build momentum, just get by in the early group stages in advance. And then eventually, once they get into the knockout stages, then they really kind of turn it on and they kind of bring it together. So they've already advanced, actually. You know, sneaking by 2-1 against Australia and 1-0 against uh, Peru. If you look at the talent on the paper, you'd think they would just you know, blow everybody out of the water. But that's not how the French do things. So um, they still advance. They, you know, qualify already. Denmark right now is leading four with four points. Australia only has one because Australia got a tie. Um, they, um, yeah, they tied each other this morning. In the opening match today, um, so Australia still has a chance. Technically, if they beat France and if um, Peru takes out, um, wait, no, what am I talking about? Australia already played France. They lost to them. Australia has to beat Peru. Is what it is. And France needs to lose to Denmark. No, Denmark can lose. Denmark can lose, and it has to be a goal differential. So they need France to pour on, or they need to just pour it onto Peru to have a chance and tie them up in the point column. So three teams still alive there. Yeah, it's very sad. Very, very sad for the Peruvians. Moving on, Group D. We got uh, Croatia leading the group six points, two victories so far. Now, granted, not all the matchups, the same amount of matchups haven't been played in this group, so we'll say that. It'll be Nigeria and Iceland later tomorrow. They'll play their second matchups, but the freaking story of this tournament, Argentina is on the brink of elimination with only one point through two matches. They freaking tied Iceland 1-1 in the first match. Very disappointing result. Uh, everyone was... Uh, explaining how it was just you know such a shame tiny soccer nation like iceland their first ever world cup and they're over here playing with a freaking titan in argentina and holding it down but you know they're doing the damn thing man iceland is so iceland plays nigeria like i mentioned nigeria took a loss in the first match so they have zero points through for one game uh where they lost to croatia croatian the croatian squad um this Croatian team looking like they're putting it together, man. They played so well today against Argentina. And Argentina, they played just... Maybe it wasn't them playing so well as, as much as them making look uh, making Argentina look so bad. And also, very questionable technical moves there by Sampaoli. Um, uh, he is on the fucking hot seat like a motherfucker. They're raking him through the coals right now. He's... Uh, might not make it out of this tournament with the being the the coach of this team, man. I I, I don't know. That that would be kind of out there if he if he got fired before the third match. But whoo boy, he made. Yeah, I don't know. It's just Mascherano. 
We're just getting eaten up out there. I don't know. Yeah, man. Messi just seemed nervous from the get-go. He just had his hands in his palm, just like on the, on the when they're singing the Himno Nacional de uh, Argentina, and he was just... I saw a picture of it, and he just did not look comfortable when he was out there, too. He just, like, things just did not feel right. That's so sad that, like, the legacy of, like, one of the best players is going to be, like, handled by, like, uh, arguably by two managers that might have screwed up his chances um, in the last two World Cups. <sighs> Dude, that's so crazy, bro. That's so crazy. That's, pff, man. <sighs> It's so insane. Argentina might not make it out of the group. They might not make it out this group, bro. Jesus, that's that's really crazy. It's really fucking crazy. It's really fucking crazy. Goddamn. Goddamn, three nothing Croatia. And the first goal was like the craziest shit. Freaking. I had to mention this. Like, freaking Caballero dropped the ball. Freaking Willy Caballero, the goalkeeper for Argentina. was trying to clear the ball and kick it about 20 yards, 30 yards. Not even that far. 20 feet away. This fool only put the power at like 10 feet. And it felt right to this fucking dude from uh, Croatia. And he just like rocketed it back home on a crazy volley. But... How do you give a guy the ball right there, man? It's just freaking goaltender gaffes are just crazy, man. So they hurt so bad. So that was the first one they let in. <sighs> and then uh, later, man, Luka Modric had uh, Modric, uh, Modric, whatever. Um, he had a, a curler around the defense, bend it into the top corner that nobody was going to stop. That was one of the highlight goals for them. Ivan Rakitic and Modric really controlled the whole game for Croatia. They had the ball in Argentina's half like so often, man. It was it's crazy. I couldn't believe it. It's like they had no structure around uh, Messi at all this year. None. None at all. And it's, I don't know how they can't get Diabala out there on the pitch like with him. Di Maria has been disappointments. Higuain has been a disappointment. Kun Aguero never plays as good as he does when he plays for Man City. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's a weird thing. Mercado is just a sloppy defender at times. Mascherano is already getting old there and long in the tooth. It's like... Mm. This might be a team... On the decline in the future, man, because they were very Messi dominant. Messi basically qualified them through the right freaking uh, for this World Cup, man. They, they were struggling, and they had to call him up just to even make it. They barely made it on the last day. They had to win just to qualify. Barely got by, but they eventually made it through. Freaking crazy. So that's the crazy group. This one's just like all up on its head. So. If Iceland beats Nigeria, then it's done, done, done. Or, I mean, mm, it's going to be tough for Argentina. They need a miracle. They need, like, three things to happen for them to win or to advance. So, 
See how far that goes. Moving on. The rest of the matchups, all these teams have only played one game, so we have a little less information on them, but nonetheless. Group E leading the way. Serbia with three points that they took from Costa Rica. I believe they um like one nothing victory. And then the shocker so far in this group, Brazil. They tied Switzerland. I can't remember what was the score of that one. 1-1, one, one, Suiza e Brazil. Yeah, Serbia won one nothing against Costa Rica. But uh, the big story has been the way that the Swiss defenders were all up on Neymar and how Neymar is just like flopping like a fish out there. Looking like goddamn Nemo. That shit was freaking pitiful, man. The way he was flopping and jumping around and all that shit. And he was a, a lot of controversy, too, because in training, he was uh, spotted a couple of days ago just limping off the off the field as if something happened. And a lot of everyone's kind of taking it as if he was just kind of playing the media, kind of trying to show, like, the refs that, look, I actually am hurt. And, dude, you really do need to call this stuff and respect me and respect my game because... I'm not getting the calls out there and all that. But, man, this dude's such a talent. He doesn't need to be doing that shit. Does not need to be doing that shit at all. Flashy-ass haircut, all that shit. Mm. Yeah. The team was, like, too dependent on Neymar in that first matchup. Felipe Coutinho is like an amazing player. And they have Gabriel Jesus, who's also amazing. And Willian is incredible. They don't let those guys eat because Neymar has got to control the bar and just like do this flashy shit around the middle of the pitch. When it's when it's not getting you anywhere. Yeah, you could do it, but do you need to do it? Like you, Sometimes you don't have to play all your cards at the same time. You don't have to do all that extra flashy shit all the time. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that flashy shit is useful. It can actually get you somewhere, and it's it's effective. Other times it's just effective, but you're doing it just to do it. You know what I mean? You can nutmeg somebody and actually have it be in the final third where you can like get a cross off, or you can nutmeg somebody who's just um, attacking you in the middle of the, of the pitch and trying to chase the ball down, and you know get the you know. Which leads you to a worse situation where you're in a you don't have any outlets to pass the ball and then you turn it over. You it takes you into a double team or a triple team versus if you just make the simple pass to somebody else, go uh, go on a run and then they find you. Now you're in a better position down on the wing, and you can send it across. Or now you can go one on one and do your you know crossovers and high steps and everything like that. And um, uh, you know. You can do your whole uh, bonito out shit out there on the wing, but it's got to be like the lead up to it that makes it effective. And Coutinho is one of those guys that can help you out and really lace you some passes and do it do it all for you that way. Mm, but I don't know. Guess they matter. They want to find out in Barcelona to see exactly what what was up with that. But because uh, they didn't get a chance to cross paths there at the the big super club. But uh, we keep it moving. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if uh, Brazil can qualify. I think they still have a very good shot. They still got to play Serbia. They still got to play Costa Rica. 
I believe they play. Who do they play? They got the early morning game. I think they're taking on Costa Rica at five o'clock. So I'll be up probably around six to watch the second half of that matchup. Get ready for work and all that jazz. As we keep it moving and grooving. Who else we got? Um, yeah, Serbia. We'll see what they can do. See if they can hold on. I know Bogdan Bogdanovic. I see him tweeting all that shit because he's Serbian. I know Milos Teodosic is uh, probably very excited as well. Ready, Clippers. Moving on. Group F. Miki Pukerido, Mexico. L3. Tied up at the top with Sweden. And both of these teams, they'll play the last matchup. They'll both play each other the last match of the group stages for these teams. But yeah, obviously the biggest shock, Germany with no points through first matchup. Didn't even get a tie, man. So they they came in super cocky. I saw the I saw the videos. I saw the people interviewing them at, at, outside the stadium after or before the game. One guy was like, uh, "We we are going to win five nothing just to be nice because we like the Mexicans. We like partying with the Mexicans." I was like, "Bro, get the fuck out of here." Um. Yeah. So acting all cocky and shit. I can see you at, you know, 3 nothing. All right, that's fine. That's, like, unreasonable. You talk about 5 nothing. you start insulting people's intelligence and shit. I take, you take that shit personal, bro. Especially in Mexicanos. We take that shit personal, bro. We all about that revancha, man. We got, we're on that revenge mode. We're, like, very prideful people, bro. When you cross us, we're going to try to cross your ass back. That's just kind of how it is sometimes. Mm, that's kind of cool. Anyway, um, yeah, Korea, Korea's of the team. They lost to Sweden. They lost it. They had, they had a one goal. Sweden had a one goal. So it was a very close matchup. Koreans are very um, hardworking team, though. Very, uh, have very good stick to itiveness. Kind of similar to Mexico, but I think Mexico has a more out out talent soccer talent especially on this roster so they're gonna play a matchup this saturday and this shit's gonna be crazy here in los angeles because there's a shit ton of koreans and there's a shit ton of mexicans that live here in la and it's gonna be hype this shit's gonna be lit excuse me who i'm still debating on exactly where i want to watch this match i think i'm gonna go with my little sister since it's saturday it's her doff day and we're gonna have a good time we have a good uh early morning drinking and uh, we're going to get into it, man. We're going gonna to be moving and grooving. I'm going to be out there rocking my uh, Caballero Mexico jersey that I got this year. The white one with them stripes across the chest, bro. That shit's fresh. Fresh look. Um, yeah, man. I'm going to go cop me one. And, uh, my, thinking about maybe actually going into Koreatown. Got to go to the heart of fucking beast, bro. Experience that shit, man. Why not? They're going to have a couple... There's a couple places that I'm thinking right now. One, there's a plaza that shows these games. Like, I think all the Korean games because it's in Koreatown. It's like the part of town where it's like the signs are in Korean and all that shit. Like, it's like that. Like that part of Koreatown. I used to live right there. I used to live a few blocks away. It's like on Western and Wilshire where like the 24-hour fitness is at. There's a CVS right there. There's a Denny's across the street. And like the uh, the Will Turn Theater is right there, right next door. Uh, there's a Ralph's. That used to be my local Ralph's right there. Sizzler down the street and all that shit that actually was on Anthony Bourdain's episode of um, um, No Reservations or whatever, which was kind of crazy. Um, 
Yeah, Hitler or Hitler, Hitler, Jesus, Sizzler, not my jam, not my cup of tea. <laughs> so I've never been to that shit, uh, that one right there. But um, anyway, walk past it a million times. Anyway, so there's a um, yeah, there's a big plaza right out there, and apparently they're gonna put a big old screen, projector screen, and get the game up and running there. But I don't know if it's gonna be in Korean or English or Spanish. It'll probably be in English, but. I want to watch this in Spanish, though. So another option, I think, plan B for me in Koreatown, there's this restaurant called Gualaguetza, which is the this Oaxacan restaurant that I actually haven't had the chance to try yet that is supposed to be really fucking delicious. And um, they open up at 6 a.m., and that's like the, you know, paisa spot, I guess, for like the World Cup in that area, that part of town. There's also another place called Beer Garden that has like uh, German and Korean like influence type you know pub and that place would be cool um to watch um germany plays the later game against sweden so i don't know who i'm rooting for that matchup if mexico wins then it doesn't really matter necessarily or i guess mm, i don't know because mexico wins and then sweden wins and those are the two teams they automatically advance Mexico wins, Sweden loses, Germany wins, then there's two teams with three points each, one team with six and one with none, so then Germany would play Korea, probably, I would say they would probably be Korea, and then Sweden would play Mexico, Sweden would need to beat Mexico, if they beat Mexico in the last match, you have three teams with two wins if I'm not mistaken hmm yeah and then uh, three teams with six points and then Mexico could possibly be gone so yeah that's not what we want so hmm interesting very interesting a lot of uh, a lot of things in the play here moving on though Group G, we got Belgium and England leading the group. And Tunisia and Panama on the bottom. But, man, England against Tunisia, that was a knock-em-out, drag-em-out type of game. That shit was crazy, man. Harry Kane with that goal in the, like the 90-whatever minute. To take it, that was... Uh, where is it? Where is the matchup? Yeah, that that shit was crazy. It was like in the ninety second minute. Off, of, there's been so many headers, like the so many set piece goals this year, so many goals in the last minute, couple goalkeeper gaffes, and it's like it's been exciting, man. Like every match, every match, some shit happens where you're like, damn, I'm gonna remember then that happened. Yeah, that Harry Kane header was that moment though for England and able to drag out that two one victory over Tunisia. And then Belgium got the 3-0 against Panama. But Panama, they played them tough all the way through the second half. And then Belgium finally broke through and they got three. So everyone's expecting, hey, maybe, or everyone's saying that maybe this is the year Belgium breaks through. Actually starts making some noise. Puts up good results. Started off well. We'll see how it continues. What's the next uh, matchup for this group? Who's playing who? Tunisia, Belgium, 
and it'll be England and Panama. All right, so we'll see how those go. And then England will play Belgium in the last matchup. I think they might both have been qualified by that point, depending on how the two games before that go. So that's how Group G is looking at. Now, Group H, the topsy-turvy table of the World Cup this year. Japan and Senegal are leading Poland and Colombia. In the group, Poland, Lewandowski did not have enough help against Senegal. Senegal has a very, very talented team. They got a, a deeper roster than you would think. Sadio Mane, Kolobolai, they got their team, I think the most talented team in Africa from what everybody's saying. Um... Yeah, Diallo is a goalkeeper. Um, or Gomis, excuse me, I think it's Gomis. No. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Who else? Sadio Mane is the Njai. Ndoye. Niang wasn't too bad either. They got some guys. They got some some talented players there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Senegal makes it out of the group. Japan. Japan was a big surprise over Colombia. I think that was a bigger one. Because um, Japan's got some talent. But, man, Colombia is like on, supposed to be on a different plane, different level than them. And what happened early pretty much is there was a handball from... Um, um, what the hell was it? A um, Colombia versus Japan. Who had the handball? Um, uh, Carlos Sanchez. That's who it was. One of their defenders. And it's like he had a handball in the box on a shot, and so they gave him a red card, and then immediately threw him out of the game in the third minute. And so they were playing with ten men basically the whole time. They ended up scoring this freaking. Um, Cheeky goal to try it for uh, Quintero, who was taking the free kick. As the wall jumped up, he shot it underneath him and snuck it into the corner, which was pretty amazing to tie the match at one apiece. But then eventually, uh, Osako got a, a goal in the 73rd minute for Japan, and it was uh, it's pretty much all she wrote at that point. Freaking craziness, man. I can't believe it. Like, Colombia... Poland is like super overly rated, I will say, but um, FIFA rankings had them in the top ten like before the World Cup, which is freaking insane. If you think about it, that shit was crazy. Let me zoom ahead. I'm watching this recap video. I want to see. Remember how? Uh... Oh. Um, Japan scored at the end There was some questionable calls Boom There goes that uh, Under the wall shit That was pretty creative I think they got it off a deflection Hold on Here, here it is Off a corner Yep Just off a corner Redirect Oh man Crazy, crazy, craziness. This World Cup is in fucking stain, bro. 
it's going to be crazy. We're going to get some crazier matchups as we advance and move on. I just needed to break some of that shit down. And, yeah, would have done it after all the first matches. Yeah, man, I would have uh, started recording halfway through, you know, first matches instead of, like, halfway through the second matches or whatever. But y'all know I'm lazy as shit already. So that's my World Cup pre-breakdown. Roll into some other sports nudes. First big topic, Kawhi Leonard trade demands to Los Angeles. This is my nightmare come to fruition. The Lakers are on the free agency trail. Bounce back bullshit, and I'm not happy about it at all. Just stay in the cellar where you guys freaking belong. It's cool. Nobody gives a fuck about you guys and all that course the Laker fans are gonna blow up when they get all these guys and it's gonna be annoying as hell for me to swatch Marvin Bagley summer league highlights and have to put up with that bullshit but that's what I will be doing and so life moves on yeah so this whole Kawhi like situation is so insane man because apparently his agent is like that has no loyalties to anybody else in the league so he can kind of pull this hijack bullshit the, I think his uncle, who's kind of his daddy never had, is also kind of, you know, manipulating it so he can want to go to Los Angeles and the whole handling of the, the injury, the way Manu and the way Tony Parker kind of called him out on it, the way Popovich has had comments on him. It's not good, man. Not good. So Spurs are in like a tough, tough spot right here. If I were them, I would not help the Lakers one iota. Obviously, teams are not going to necessarily want to be giving up a lot of stuff for him. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if like if you're the Lakers now, you got to play hardball a little bit because you could offer less and less and less, and Spurs are going to be more willing to accept it. You would think. I mean, let him play out the season and then get him next year because he's pretty much what's going to happen. If, uh, if he runs out his contract there in San Antonio or in some other places. So he didn't get traded tonight. There was some rumor that he might get shipped out somewhere else. I know Boston was a just destination people were talking about. I think Sacramento, they said, was talking to them. But why? Why? What's the point? He's going to dip after one season. So yeah, the players just get more and more power and more leverage in the NBA, and it's, it's kind of insane, but rather it that way than the other way, I guess. Makes things interesting for sure. More freedoms, cool. Anyway, moving over to baseball, going to my lovely Giants. Gotta mention this story, freaking crazy. Hunter Strickland breaking his hand the other day after blowing a save and punching a door in frustration. I think he had a two-run save that he blew against where was he um who the hell uh, this is why i got my ipad and this is why i don't know we don't be we be doing a little fat chicken i just don't want to be fucking wrong and shit let me see hunter strickland freaking dumb this guy has like a temper he's thrown at players before 
think he's got an anger problem. He says he does the first story. Hunter Strickland just says he doesn't have an anger problem six hours ago. Well, no shit. It's going to be out six to eight weeks. That's your closer, bro. What the fuck, man? What the fuck, dude? Marlins. That's who it was. Damn Miami Marlins. That sucks. Punch his hand and then there he goes. Out six to eight weeks, but the Giants the way they're just like cockroaches, man. You can't uh um can't screw you can't you can't get rid of them, man. Can't can't get rid of them. They'll find a way to stick around like they have been all season without uh, some of their premier starting pitchers. And they just plug guys and figure it out. I don't get it. Bochi maximizes the most out of his guys. I just I, and the staff. I don't, I don't get it. There's, they don't have an explanation, and I'm just not gonna even try to explain it anymore because it's it's pretty damn crazy, man. It's pretty damn freaking crazy. But uh, yeah, I think that will wrap up the world in sports as uh, we know it for this episode. We'll kind of give you some. Uh, it's a little bit on the music tip. I'll give you a little breakdown of what, kind of what happened last weekend. Got to go to a couple different shows, which was kind of cool. Got to see um, some DJ, a couple of DJs back to back, some house music, some Dark Martin and Lee Reynolds. Um, Friday night out there at uh, Club Union. It ended up being a little smaller than I thought it would be. I think Club Union sometimes when uh, it's like different type of artists, like if it's more tech house and things like that, or mm, different genres. Sometimes the main room, I guess, doesn't fill, or maybe it doesn't didn't get the pub like it needed it to. Um, versus when you get like a brownies lemonade showing there, and it's freaking everyone's hyperventilating because it's so hot and it's cramped, and nobody could see anything, and speakers are going crazy, and no one can hear shit, and it's like disorienting, and you're freaking got to go outside to like get the ringing out of your ears for a minute. Like it wasn't that crazy, so um, it was cool. Um, yeah, I got to pop some Molly for the first time in a long ass time, so I got to feel really nice with the people and the vibe and the energy and all that stuff. And felt pretty damn amazing. Had that nice warm glow inside of me and all that, that nice touchy feely shit. So that was cool. Um, I kept it pretty low key though that night. Uh, so yeah, what's crazy though is like Lee Reynolds though. The story of Lee Reynolds that freaking my boy uh, will start. Shout out to Will, one of the best videographers I know. Uh, does a lot of good work with uh, some companies that do like music videos and the like he's, he's done a lot of other freelance jobs and stuff like that too so best select to him moving forward but I go to some of these shows with him and stuff like that and I uh, yeah it was kind of funny uh, <laughs> he was explaining to me how like Lee Reynolds his, uh, he's got a wife and he's got a girlfriend and apparently his wife is just like down with that so they're kind of like an open relationship which was this is that new wave shit. You know, do you, bro. I see you. Um, and if they're all down, they're all down. But what's the funniest thing about it, though, is if you look it up, it's like his wife and his girlfriend look like each other, but from, like, different ages. You know what I'm saying? Like, the girlfriend looks, looks almost dead on like the wife, just the younger version of the wife. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Like, you guys ever see that? You ever, like, be in public and you see somebody and you're like, damn, that's, like, the version of my friend but like 30 years older or like 10 years younger than what they are now or something this is like man if your life goes right this could be you or the opposite it's like some you know grungy piece of shit dude walking by and you're like damn bro freaking 
uh, Jose, if you if his life turned left, this is what he would have looked like, <laughs> and shit like that. Like that happens to me every so often. But yeah, man, that dude's living that shit though, bro. That shit's kind of crazy. Can you imagine? He's like a forty some odd year old DJ too that does house music and parties and stuff like that too. And he started DJing when he was like in his forties or something, like not or like in his late thirties, like something crazy. So. I guess, you know, life's a strange trip, and sometimes it's like, uh, you know, things end up happening in their, you know, due time and all that, but uh, I've seen him spin a few times, he's pretty funny, I've given him daps, and, you know, walking around different venues or whatever, he's a, he's a character for sure, um, but yeah, Doc Martin was cool too, uh, so they were doing a set back to back all the way to like closing time pretty much, they were doing it until the a.m., it was like 7 a.m., Something super late, super, super late. Um, crazy. So, yeah, that was my Friday night. Went pretty hard. But, yeah. Actually stood up and watched some of the uh, France and Australia match when I got back. <laughs> It's just crazy because it was uh, it was going on. It started at like two or three in the morning. It's because the way they they did it. There's a couple games that'll start that early. Um, most of them starting at like five, eight, and eleven. On some days, they'll, they'll they'll schedule four games in a row and they'll do that early one. I guess it'll be two, five, eight, and eleven it's every three hours. So it's another game popping off. But uh, yeah, that was uh, Friday. Like I said. Ended up passing out, watching some more games, passing out some more. It was just like kind of a shit show. But anyway, brought it, got it all together and went out Saturday night. And I saw something a little bit more key, though. It was, uh, got to see Questlove do a DJ set, which was nice because there was, they have that Smoking Grooves Festival that happened last weekend with a lot of the R&B artists and everything going out and playing. I really wanted to get a ticket and they sold out super quick on me. So I was like, look, this shit sucks. So I didn't get to go. But, uh, yeah, the Roots were in town playing, so Questlove, I guess, got a, a d nice DJ spot afterwards. Uh, him on everything, guys, were able to DJ before him. I didn't get to see them. I, I got there. We got there a little after 11, so I think that's when Quest came on. So it makes sense because it closed at 2, and you do a little three-hour set. It's pretty pretty nice. It's usually, you know, run-of-the-mill how shit goes. Um, yeah, it was cool. I had a good time with my, my homie Will again, and we have a bo uh, a homie named uh, Sully, man, and he's really into like that funky groove house, or not even house, just groove type flow, and bro, Questlove is amazing as a DJ, he's amazing as a drummer, he's just an amazing as a musician in general, like the, the amount of knowledge of music that he has in his head is like, could just run laps around most people, most musicians honestly too, because He's like an encyclopedia with all that stuff, and he's it's pretty crazy. I've learned a lot just listening to interviews from him. If you have, if you have an, a spare like 30, 40 minutes of your day, go out uh, to onto YouTube and go look at the Nardwar interview that he did with him about five years ago. I want to say somewhere around there. It's been a little bit of time now since it happened, but man, that dude can just you know talk about music all day and all night, and it's insane. And I would love to pick his brain and have him on the show at some point. And just to talk to him, maybe not even just on the show, I just want to meet him in person and talk to him and all that stuff, he was amazing, and he was just showing how, like, I was telling Will, this is, 
he he showed how you could use modern technology and still be a true DJ because like the way he did it with like the old it was like the old school break beats and the transitions and everything and it's like this it's a style of music you don't really hear as much like and you can appreciate it because it's like it feels organic when it's put together that way because uh, it's it's like birthed out of the age of turntablism and mixing back and forth off of vinyl and getting that break beat back and getting the same record you know over and over and over and over again and letting it play and then transition into another record into the break beat flipping the other vinyl off of the the table you know this the tier and table two put in the same um you know that break beat the same matching it up again for the second song you know mixing it together um and then rinse and repeating it doing it all over again for song number three and then four or five or whatever but the way he did it was very cool because the way with technology it allows you to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more adventurous in terms of how you could do it and uh, so you can jump around the tracks and stuff a little bit more and as long as you have uh, you know like the the timing and the you know mixing skills which Questlove did like to perfection I heard one little mess up that he acknowledged but even then he was just like ah because he was just like damn it because <laughs> he was running a really really freaking cool set the whole time so we had another good night uh, out there just hanging out just appreciating the music and shit like that that's always something that I really like to do um it's good to see, uh, you know, switching it up. We're getting a little something different. I was feeling my groove a bit. Um, yeah, they played in this, like, warehouse venue. It's, like, 1207 or something like that. It's this new venue that's, like, south of uh, the Arts District. It's kind of in, like, the northern part of, like, South Central, which is kind of crazy. But um, it's a weird location, but the venue itself inside is actually pretty legit. I've been to a couple parties there. I saw A-Track play a DJ set there, too couple weeks back maybe a month ago two months ago so i've been there a few times now so emily's not bad they got cool beer selection and they actually have some cool foods out on the side too i haven't tried yet necessarily but i've seen good reviews about it the food that they have there anyway i'm yeah, moving on to some recorded music I had a couple albums i listened to this week that i kind of enjoyed uh start off with j-rock's redemption album that shit pretty bang pretty hard and it, it came it came correct man i think j-rock it's, in my opinion, out of the four TDE members, or the four Black Hippie members, because there's more members of TDE now, out of the four Black Hippie members, I would say he might be number four pegged on there in terms of what the the amount of, like, buzz and hype and, like, fan, um, uh, diverse fan base. But he's got a very, you know, he's got a loyal backing here in L.A. and on the West Coast, and he's you know been just in his pocket he's been kind of underrated for a while and he just kind of does his his shit and i enjoy it and the redemption album that shit was cool man it has some good features on it and there was some good tracks and it, it kind of showed off his range a little bit because you got some of like the more emotional slower songs you got the more like just get hype and buck shit like win is really that's like that's that like championship parade type shit like yeah, if like LA ever wins a championship again, even though I'm not a fan of the teams, like they definitely got to play that song for sure. And even if I was like another place, like, I would, you know, highly consider that shit because that'd be dope. But um, yeah, man, it's like uh, I'm trying to think what else. The it was a really good album. I enjoyed it. TDE they put it out. It's really really solid projects. They don't put them out until they're really finished and really thoroughly completed. So that project came out. There's a new Nas album that came out as well, too. And this is the one that has, like, Kanye West production put through good music and all that stuff. And 
it's kind of like sounds like a little bit typical Nas album a bit just kind of in his lane and like the big downfall that a lot of people say about Nas is that he never has a good beat selection so like his albums can kind of wane depending on who's wor he's working with at the time and you know which uh, you know beats he actually chooses to go on but working with Kanye West you get you know superstar producer pretty much and so that kind of um, is taken out of the equation a little bit there for for Nas, and so he's kind of just you know given allowed to stay in his lane and excel a little bit. So there was uh, you got to hear a little bit of that in this album, and it's like a typical Nas album. You get him trying to be all like uh, you know preachy and like uh, um, up on his pulpit, like teaching and stuff like that, and trying to like put people on game and like. Uh, give people history and lessons and stuff like that and not all of that shit's gonna be factually correct but i feel the energy bro i feel that shit like roger ailes was not a black man and a black man did not start fox news network and all that shit but i feel i feel where you're coming from bro i got you i like i know the matches you're coming from and but it's, it seems kind of crazy though because i was reading i was reading like one kind of review and it, i kind of got that juxtaposition too because he, he preaches a lot of stuff about like you know black excellence and black power and like black success and um you know striving and all that stuff and it's funny because he's got juxtaposed with like the way kanye west has been thinking about and like the way that he's been kind of explaining his views like um talking about slavery and all this other stuff too which has been kind of i think a bit misguided i understand maybe where he he is in terms of questioning certain things but i don't think he's taking a um he's being cognizant of what he's saying or the ramifications of all that um so it seems like a bit tone deaf to me um the way yeezy's been kind of going about things publicly recently but it is what it is regardless whether you know you like what he says or what comes out of his mouth or not the dude does definitely have an ear for for, for music production i'm not gonna lie uh, I think he does production better for other people than he does for himself because I think he doesn't have that same level of self-critique and criticism and where he tries to get all meta and like, you know, go over the top of certain things or, um, you know, with like his emotions or just with his, uh, um, you know, focal range when he tries to do shit with like 808s and heartbreaks or if he just tries to go out all over the top and like overproduce things like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or if he underproduces shit like Jesus or like this new album that he put out freaking the yay album um yeah i think he i kind of feel like he does sometimes maybe maybe that i don't know maybe it's just kind of like here and there hit or miss but the production on this nas album is very more boom bap old school look like production like kind of the pocket and frame that like Kanye West came out of in the early 2000s coming up under Rockefeller and Jay-Z and all that stuff because that's kind of the the vibe of it of like what I kind of got for that one but it's only seven songs like all the other good music releases this year so far so that's um it's easy to digest a bit I've heard it a few times through and I thought I thought it's got some songs on there that are pretty cool but uh um yeah i definitely like i definitely bang with the j-rock shit though uh in other 
music news, we gotta say um, there's I gotta talk about the, the recent death of the X or XXXTension, the rapper out of Florida or Atlanta, I think it's Atlanta, who recently got shot and killed. Um, very problematic rapper who had a you know domestic charges brought up against him. He had like uh, you know assault charges and things of that nature. Pretty much he kind of acted like a piece of shit and kind of like treated people like a piece of shit from what the reports kind of came out. But he was a talented person, so he might have been able to get by a bit um, off of that in terms of his connection. I didn't know the guy too too much in terms of his music or, you know, his exploits or whatever like that. But, uh, I mean, you got Lil Xan, you got this dude now. It's like these young dudes, man. I guess it's just, you know, ignorance is bliss to a certain point. So you don't really know what you don't know. But these guys just be acting reckless. They don't understand necessarily the ramifications behind it. And sometimes for some people, the only way for them to learn is to actually go through it. Or you just got to, you know, you might have to die with your mistakes. That's kind of sad to think about it that way. But, man, that's kind of what happened. I think this dude just was causing ruckus and trouble everywhere. This fool got um, freaking... Um, not stomped out, but he got squashed pretty hard down in San Diego when um, they did a, a show there with Rob Stone. Because he had like beef with Rob Stone for some fucking reason. I don't even remember, but both those squads I remember last year were fucking duking it out um, on stage. This dude got like decked so hard, so hard on video. Um, so I know he's had his issues and his troubles and all that stuff, but then he dies and like, I don't know what the new generation of like the consumers of rock music are going to be thinking about or like of themselves. Maybe it's like a, a reflection of kind of how society and where we're at and where like the problems maybe not, um, being focused upon and maybe kind of the, this shift in rap music is kind of maybe the shift in the crisis that's ongoing in, in a lot of communities in america maybe that's what it is you get a lot of rappers who are you know got these uh closer to drug overdoses and they're very leaned out or op- pilled out or barred out whatever it is they just like uh kind of going over the top and you know i don't know maybe it's like uh trying to mask some stuff Sometimes doing drugs is kind of how it is for some people. They just kind of want to get away and just lose touch with reality. And they don't necessarily want to deal with the aches and pains. Go through the trials and tribulations. People have to realize it takes a while to get to this point, though. That, like, in order to... Everyone just wants to get to that happy place. That, like, light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, in a certain extent. But in order to get through that, you got to go through all the bullshit first. The only way it feels that rewarding and satisfying to you is that having gone through the hardships and the difficulties if this is smooth sailing you know from the get-go then it's like you know what are you doing then it's it's not impactful it's not you got you got to ride the roller coaster you got to ride the ups and downs the only reason the ups feel so good is because the downs have got to be so low like you got to that springboard effect man and you got to when you're riding the wave you got to understand that you are riding the wave and that you are going up and down so there's some people they they ride that wave and they're on the low point of that wave, but they don't understand that down, like around the corner is gonna. If you keep pushing, man, there's gonna be a high point. And some people look for the easy ways out, and it ends up keeping them in that low point a little longer than maybe they would have otherwise. So some people maybe don't necessarily get that message all the time. And if I, I just want to reach out and tell everybody, like if if you're listening to this and you need somebody, just let me know. Um, 
mean, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to almost everybody, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, reach out. And you can reach me on the socials. Shout it out again here at Puro Caballero on Twitter and Instagram, man. P-U-R-O-C-A-B-A-L-L-E-R-O. Puro, pure caballero. Gentleman, knight, whatever. Cowboy, bunch of names. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, man. It's a it's a sad word out there, and people have a lot of mental issues and like bad problems. And somebody, I'll speak for myself and my own experience. I mean, somebody who's dealt with like real, real bad problems of you know depression and just feeling real suicidal at certain times you know, in my life when I just you know things were just not looking right, and you feel like you're more of a burden on society than you're actually you know being a contributor. It's uh. It's tough. It's very tough. You get in that rut, and it's just, uh, it's, um, you know, depression just leads to more depression, and it's a tough spiral to kind of get out of. But you know, with you know, everything just kind of feels kind of muted and just flat, and like there's, there's a sense of purpose. There's a like a loss there. Like it's just something's just not right. It's like a sickness that you just you feel inside your brain, but not like in, in your physical body as much. Sometimes it gets physical and you actually feel it, man. There's just like a burden and it feels like you're wearing a weight jacket above you. But there's little things that you could do to kind of keep yourself out of that mental frame of mind as best as possible. Or to kind of, if you get into it, to kind of, you know, leave it as quick, quickly as you can. And these are some of the things that I've kind of, kind of worked with. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned is just your mind and your body are definitely connected. Like you can't separate one without the other because you're like your whole vessel is you. So... If you're going to be like a part of self-improvement and you want to, you know, do something better about yourself, if you want your mind to work better, you got to make sure your body's working better or vice versa. If you want your body to work better, you got to think smarter or like work smarter um, to a certain extent. You know what I'm saying? So it goes hand in hand. I know myself when I do and when I'm able to do some physical exercise or get a workout or do something, be outside, it lifts my spirits and helps me be, um, you know, in a better mood overall just off like the little stuff and it's you know like when i'm at, at the workout when i'm doing a workout at the gym and i'm like you know pushing through my last few reps and just uh you know reaching to a failure and then eventually you know what i do is i'll do a little stairmaster five to ten minute warm-up or i'll stretch for a long for my legs because i've been having some uh i had that calf injury that i've been nursing that um, I found out if I do a lot of stretching beforehand that it, it makes it uh, doable for me to get through a workout with the, like the running and the, um, the leg workouts and everything like that that I like to do. So what I do is I do I stretch out my legs and my back before my workout. And then I get on the stairmaster. I do about five to ten minutes on like a seven level difficulty, which is pretty pretty good pace, man. Um, for me at least. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll bust that out, and I'll uh, I'll do five to ten minutes, um, depending on uh, what other workouts I'm doing and how I'm feeling and where my energy level's at. So get that to get my sweat going, and I'm usually panting, huffing, and puffing pretty tough at the, after that's done. Then I go out, do my first. I usually at least do three sets of whatever um, body part I'm trying to focus on. Uh, so typically I'll do like chest and triceps on one day and then I'll, I'll run also and do abs as well. And then on the other day I'll do, sh um, 
back and biceps, and then I'll do some shoulders also with um, either some abs or some running, one or the other, um, on another day. And then I usually do one a full leg day as like on the weekend. That's my weekend lift usually. Um, although my schedule is a little wonky right now because I did that one on Monday, and then I did my normal Monday or Tuesday workout on a Wednesday. So my schedule got pushed back. Not sure if I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. Mm, might be lazy about it. Eh, I might want to go to the gym just to get the sweat in so I can uh, feel good about myself. Be acting like a pig this weekend. <sighs> Saturday's going to be fun. Saturday's going to be real fun. But yeah, for me personally though, like the my body thing has been a big, big thing that I've been trying to focus on the last like six to nine months i want to say um yeah something i'm really proud about to say is that i finally clocked in under 230 pounds for the first time in a few years now man it's been a while it's been it's been a while so i've uh i've put on some weight a bit i've gotten out of shape gotten injured a bit too and my weight kind of ballooned a little bit to like last year one of the periods in my times where i was was feeling a bit depressed so i was Top of the scales heavy, man. I was coming in around 250 plus, 255. I want to say it was maybe my highest. And, yeah, it wasn't good. You know, changing a bunch of jobs, just eating shitty food, not getting good paychecks and stuff like that. So not uh, being able to afford necessarily the best, healthiest, nutritious food. And, yeah, just kind of making the lazy, stupid, dumb decisions all the time, too. And, you know, when you're really sad, too, sometimes you take uh, – refuge and stuff that you enjoy and if you're somebody like myself who enjoys food then that can be you know could lead to an unhealthy uh lifestyle and an addiction and that's kind of how it was for me so that's one of the things that i kind of try to do and it's just it's always about the mental exercises you got to put yourself through too you always got to tell yourself and just tomorrow's going to be better and um people you are important people do care about you people do love you and that um you got to have something to live for um, to get move you forward. I know that was like one of the things that I learned. A lot of people when they go through like torture scenarios and situations, or people who have like survived the Holocaust or have gone through like inhumane treatment, people who've survived the slave ships or whatever the situation might have been. Then one of the main motivating factors and the reasons people make it through, they found like the connecting thing was they always for one reason or the other had a a reason to try and live. Um. Some people, it was a petty reason. Some, you know, uh, some people who like survived the Holocaust wanted to get back just so they could physically uh, take back the land that their parents owned, were bestowing to them, or whatever it was, whatever the fuck it was. Some people wanted to survive just so they can, you know, find their their childhood sweetheart again. You know, whatever whatever the reason was, maybe they, you know, people who go to war, they they come back because they one of the the motivating factors is they want to come back to their wife and kids or. They want to go back to their mom and dad or whatever their family is. It's like it's, when you have something that deep and you know strong, it's uh, it gives you that motivating factor. And for like people nowadays, we we kind of become disconnected as a society a lot of times. I mean, I myself, I'm kind of somebody who who's can spend you know days on time just not interacting with the outside world a lot of times. So like. Yeah, it's a lot of tough. It's tougher to get a, uh, create that same sense of community that uh, we're kind of just in, you know, inherent in generations past. And I mean, you live in a place that's your local community, like right there. 
but now we just uh we're so disassociated with each other that it's like we can kind of just be off in our own like world and just whatever the hell we want to do whatever interests us but it allows us to detach and that's not a good thing all the time so yeah i think uh that kind of uh all kind of wraps in together but um yeah, we'll get into a little bit of, um, you know, news and notes going around the world. Um, we'll talk about uh, Canada legalizing marijuana being the second nation on this planet to fully endorse legalization following Uruguay. So shout out to the Uruguayans, Uruguayos down there in uh, South America. They had a very progressive president a few years ago who got the ball rolling pretty much on that whole business down there. So um, they were ahead of the curve. Canada, they mentioned Trudeau was ran on that platform that he was going to get weed legalized. And I was reading the article saying that, like, he was, uh, it's going to be some potential issues for Canada because there's some treaties that they've agreed to that basically that would dictate that they're going to enforce anti-marijuana laws and a lot of international treaties, but... Honest to God, like there's a lot of ways for them to get around it, and it's not the end of the world, the end all be all, and it's just like it's a very li- limited thing. U.S. try to be the or have the workaround by saying it's federally illegal, but the states have their own rights to have their own decisions and rulings on the legalization of that. So that was kind of their workaround of like not violating a lot of these treaties. And U.S. tends to be one of the people who puts these treaties together. They're the ones who you know make it on their terms more often than not. So that's kind of where we're at with that. So I think it's kind of cool that our neighbors to the north are taking that first step moving forward. And, uh, yeah, kind of crazy. Um, I actually met somebody who's going to be working in the, um, like, the regulation side of, like, the marijuana business there in, Cal- in uh, Canada. And uh, that's going to be a whole booming industry as well. I think that's something that maybe... I'm not really sure where we're at here in California in terms of that, or if there might be a shortage in terms of people that are able to do inspections and like do routine checkups and maintenance for like uh, a lot of the grow-ups and make sure that all the plants are tagged and ID'd and marked and are growing correctly and that uh, the soil is rich enough in nutrients and the pesticides aren't being used and the harmful chemical products that can get into people's you know lung stream and all that stuff is uh, um, is not introduced to the plants and make sure that the ecosystem is correct and there's not cross-contamination and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, making sure everything is uh, above board. So that's like a whole new industry within itself. I'm not sure where we're at here in California. I should probably do more research in terms of where we're at because that might be, you know, a potential business somewhere to look into in the future. Might not know um, where that might, uh, might lead uh, the world. Could definitely be something to look into Uh, but yeah I've been kind of keeping on like the the marijuana legalization train for a minute and I've been kind of keeping tabs on the economics and everything about it for maybe about 10 years now it's been about a decade I want to say yeah this is a topic very near and dear to my heart and something that I I take interest in in a lot of different perspectives um, but yeah, I find, I find it interesting how things are changing, man. Canada, Canada got legal weed. So 
Shout out to Trudeau. Shout out to Drake. Shout out uh, Drake's baby mama. Shout out to her. Shout out to um, who else? Steve Nash. Um, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Crosby. Uh, yeah, all Lord Stanley Cup. I don't know who else. Who else Canadian? Samantha B's Canadian. I don't know who the fuck else is Canadian. Jesus, there's a lot of them. Um, what's his name from uh, Silicon Valley? Uh, not Fogel. What the hell's his name? Garfoil. <laughs> Fogels. Um, yeah, man, they got that that shit together, so they're moving forward, but. Saddest thing I want to talk about today, man. Saddest, saddest thing, man. And I hate to end the fucking podcast on this shit because it's like, how the fuck am I going to tell you I to subscribe about this shit when I got to talk about the down stuff that's going on in the world? But, man, this stuff's like in my mind all day, all night, pretty much recently. And it's like, it kind of has been for like months on end from like the stories that are coming out. And now we're, we're actually getting pressure and we're getting some actual physical evidence and actual stories and news releases and like we're actually talking to these kids that it's going on but man these immigrant kids getting separated from the families at the borders that honest to god like the chances of them meeting their parents ever again is sometimes could be slim to none it's just that dire it's that insane that you pick up a kid in texas who crossed the border for probably all the way from el salvador who had to cross a couple borders just to get over gets caught with this family they're le- they're leaving a perilous situation where it's like gang infested area that there meets a lot of times that there's like hits out on their lives um if they stick around literal death threats these people are surviving uh are trying to survive and leaving these areas and living as a family they get across and they try to seek asylum and they get ripped apart from their kids they get flown across to different detention centers across the united states they're held in there they don't know where they are they're um held with a bunch of other people so if you're underage um minor you're held together with your um other underage minors and they got the freaking baby buses transporting little kids and stuff like that and they got they got these detention centers that are just freaking jails for they look like jails for children man it's like locking these kids up in cages the way the people on the right are calling them daycares and freaking uh, summer camps is the fucking the most bullshit I've ever heard, man. It's sad. It's a sad existence to to get caught up in that system. It would have been just frightening and terrifying. And freaking Donald Trump is like perpetuating a lot of this shit. And I know he signed the fucking bill to make sure the families don't get separated. But like that's the fucking bare minimum, bro. And there's already thousands of kids who are being held right now that they don't literally don't know what the fuck they're going to do with them and how the heck they're going to get them back to to wherever they're from there was cases of like one kid who's uh eight-year-old who lost their parent and their like parent got deported back to mexico last year this kid's still in detention and they don't know when the heck is going to happen or what's going to happen with the kid the immigration courts are already flooded and overburdened with a lot of these cases and it's like it's oh man it's it's fucking insane man it's insane there's got to be a better process than this ah man it's like fucking us is 
um, what is it, uh, international dealings with Latin America, if they wouldn't have meddled with that shit in the whole freaking 20th century, I think a lot of the problems of all of these refugees and all these failed countries and stuff like that would have been, not as been as exacerbated as they have been. Cause it's, uh, it's no bueno, no bueno. You, you create failed states, you create um, desperate people, and these desperate peoples are going to, uh, in turn, resort to violence when necessary. And that violence is going to create dire situations for innocents. Innocents are going to do whatever they can to survive, so it's a lot of them flee. You're going to get situations where they're fleeing to the most prosperous states that they can possibly reach. In this continent, that's going to be the United States of America. They see the the you know the shining hill on the tree and all or shining shining house on the hill or whatever the the metaphor is of the shining light on the hill whatever lighthouse on the hill whatever the fuck the, the metaphor of America basically they see all like the glitz and glamour and everything and they're like okay I can you know earn a living and I can survive and this is a place that supports you know human rights and all this other stuff and then you get there and you're thrown into the jail and separated from your family and um, when you're seeking asylum um, which I find it very interesting that people who seek asylum it's like very the people who are granting asylum tend to be very prejudiced in terms of certain people accepting certain people in certain ways people from Africa who seek asylum in certain regions that are controlled by European nations are like you know, thought of as like freaking animals and treated that way versus people who are seeking asylum from other, um, you know, nations of uh, um, maybe other Catholic nations or things like that, then it's thought of as, as more of a, um, you know, we got to do this for the better you know, of mankind cause type of thing. But it's funny how like certain countries and places will turn their back on, on one people but will accept others. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not not the best thing um but i don't really have any answers man because like there's, there's the other side of it it's like you can't just let just everybody come in but you can't live everybody you can't you gotta be you can't you can't have it both ways a bit and you can't prosper off the other people and then expect them not to want to also prosper themselves too so yeah it's uh it's a crazy crazy scenario we're in man it's just it's very sad it's very very fucking sad and you, you got guys like jeff session trying to quote the bible to justify their uh their means and the the, the passage that jeff sessions um quoted was regarding legality of laws and things like that and um to follow your conscience and let me bring it up right now actually because it was pretty it's uh, a tried and true tactic uh um, to bring up this Bible passage. <sighs> yeah, man. And a lot of these freaking nuns and bishops and priests and are really um, coming at it, man, against them. But yeah, he was saying that like the Bible justifies separating parents from children and the no tolerance policy that they're having at the border is just fucking insane, man. Crazy. And you know who's like profiting off of a lot of this stuff too is like these companies that get these private contracts to build these detention centers and house them. And I want to believe that freaking, um, I think last year at some point Donald Trump was profiting or directly invested into a lot of these a few of these companies that actually hold some of these contracts with the US government. That was last year or the year before or something like that. It was 
It's like the corruption's right, right there in plain sight, man. It's like you can make that connection. I can make that A B connection right there. Boom, boom. That's crazy. Yeah, Romans thirteen is the uh, the Bible passage. It's freaking crazy, man. It says here's the passage. Persons who violate the law of uh, yeah, Romans thirteen was widely popular in the eighteen fifties when it was used to defend slavery as a legal regime. That's true, but it really misses the point since Romans thirteen was also used to defend abolitionism. In truth, Romans thirteen has a mixed history because it is an ambiguous text. So what matters is not so much the session quoted it as is how. This is the passage here: that everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be feared from one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be condemned, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers who do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wraths, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Yeah, apparently Paul was talking about the Roman Empire... Um, talking about Christians who are living in Rome to submit then uh, Paul's not showing sympathy with the government since he's definitely was uh, you know prison for a couple years uh, he's basically saying tactical submission here recognizing that political revolt would fracture the emerging Christian community and would be futile against the mighty might of Rome um, yeah it's kind of a a weird passage but yeah people use that to kind of say like hey fall in line do as I say and do as I say and don't don't ask questions pretty much mm, let's see are we supposed to submit to Rome just because they hold power or because they're working in our interest and on our behalf yeah Mm, a lot of ambiguity there. Slaveholders claim the text required obedience to the Fugitive Slave Act, while abolitionists claimed it required defiance. Since the regime supporting slavery could not, uh, not be said to be God's servants for your good, they argued it was no authority at all. In Germany, some Christians quoted Romans 13 and, and subordinated their church to Nazism. The great theologian Karl Barth, quoting the very same passage, argued Christians owed authority only the respect which is determined and limited by divine decree and courageously rejected Nazism, forcing him into exile. Ooh. Yeah. So this passage is some weird history. Um, yeah. He's reaching, bro. He basically wants the, the reading to be more towards unchecked authority. Um... Orderly and lawful possessions are good in themselves. 
That's ridiculous. He's rejecting the idea that government must justify its legitimacy. Yeah. Authority for sessions is its own justification. That sounds about right from what he his MO. The dude just like fucking loves that shit. Man, that's so sad, man. These fucking people don't give a shit, man. I saw the Department of Homeland Security got like booted out of a Mexican restaurant and all that shit. Something I saw on Twitter was pretty interesting. Some guy was saying that he worked in a Mexican restaurant. Man, it's kind of true. A lot of people who are really fucking racist love going to Mexican restaurants and making fun of like all that shit. They like pronouncing fucking names all wrong. They like giggling anytime they try to pronounce something in Spanish. They freaking ask why the TV's on in Spanish. Like, bitch, you're in a Mexican restaurant. What the fuck? Like, have some respect. Like, bro, what the fuck? People need to step outside of their own fucking bubble sometimes and just need to have some compassion and understanding. All right, understand if you don't want to accept those uh, asylum seekers and all that stuff, but you got to have a more humane and just a just way and manner in terms of dealing with these people. And like, this is a huge issue, man. I mean, that's one of the problems when you have a huge fucking nation is you're going to have huge fucking borders. And keeping them together is going to be tough. It's tougher the larger you get. So the U.S. is crazy. It's crazy huge. And it's, this is always legitimately going to be a problem from one way or the other. Sad, 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 sad times. Sad times, man. It's like stories of the haves and the haves nots, and it's it's not how it should be, but it's kind of it's kind of how it is. This world's a fucked up place, like no lie. But we got to do our part to try to make it better, and that's that's kind of what I'm here. You got to try to shed light on like the shit that's bad, just just so you can understand where you need to improve upon and to get good. So I hate people who are trying who they say they try to be they try to take patriotism to nationalism and it's like a different level, man. You got to take it's a fine line and you got to be able to know and understand when you crossed it because patriotism is wanting what's best for your country. Um and you want wanting your country to succeed, but wanting your country to succeed is also or one of the ways in the, to be successful is to recognize your faults and to limit those and to move forward and to progress and to you know become a better person and to to prosper from there but yeah sometimes that uh you know you're gonna have areas where you're lacking and you're, there's always areas for improvement right nothing's perfect nothing's ever perfect we always like to say America's number one in a lot of things, but we're we're not, man. Sean King always likes to bring it up, man. We're number one in mass incarceration and police uh, brutality, man. It's like school shootings, like, yeah. It's not good, not good, not good at all. It's just we just need to come together, man, and just like try to do what's best, man. The Solutions aren't always going to be simple and easy for everybody on other side, on both sides, man. You know, people on the right sometimes need to have more compassion and be more like uh, willing to look outside of themselves and and uh, understand that there's like a lot of greater factors that come involved besides just what you bring to the table. There's other stuff that is uh, outside of your control, man, and that's uh, that's something we got to be cognizant of. At the same time, too, we can't go completely all the way to the other side either and start regulating people's behavior and choices and things of that nature. Because when I understand having a moral um, high ground and certain set of standards that you want to try to achieve and to make, but 
the problem is you can't necessarily force everyone to uh, subscribe to that doctrine wholeheartedly right off the bat the the tricky part is to try to get people to convince themselves that voluntarily moving in that direction is going to be the best for themselves and for everybody else when you get people to, tr to force them to do it involuntarily they're going to be um, hesitant to join forward and a lot of people will be resistant it's kind of when you have a teenage kid you want them to freaking do their chores and you keep getting on them to do their chores and the more you get on them the more they don't want to do it or at least that's how i i was when i was a kid it's, it's freaking it's a weird catch 22 but that's kind of how it is man it's kind of how it is and so there's a lot of or maybe more so than there has been in north america i would say is there's been a lot more policing of ways people need to act and things of that nature which is um, fine in certain regards but can cause some you know sh um some difficulties and some some negative aspects in 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 these interactions if uh, if there's some overcorrections that go the wrong way um a lot of people want to give a big example nowadays too this is the me too movement there's people like aziz ansari who i think just had a bad date and this chick definitely didn't enjoy herself but ended up becoming a to the detriment of him and almost his career at a certain point where it's like man how far do we nearly need to go the whole story recently is the chris hardwick thing who i read into a few days ago and okay you can be an asshole and all that stuff too um that's one thing i wouldn't necessarily have gone to the press about i don't fault the chick who went to the press and insinuated that chris hardwick was an asshole and all that stuff because she included the part that he blackballed her so like there's actual financial pro you know um you know actual finances that were involved in um person's career who could have gotten potentially derailed because of that so that's never a good thing that's really a petty thing there's a lot of revenge petty and pettiness in hollywood and it's like man no one's up front with you it's like from what i see from what i've kind of you know being being from my perspective just like everyone's coming from you out sideways they're coming out with you like with side objectives and things like that no one's ever straight and up front and it's really annoying but um yeah man it's, it's the the debate currently of today it's just like so it's happening in a lot of stuff we got to find the middle ground somewhere and it's like people got to be willing to want it to to be able to to grow and move forward and be reasonable with each other and find some sort of middle ground because like i said before and like i think most people will um kind of uh you know figure it out and or like kind of come to understand this is that ultimately if you put any two human beings on earth anywhere on earth and you bring them together they have more things in common than they do uncommon that's one way I kind of try to keep things in perspective and say that, you know, we are a global global species that is now more interconnected than we ever have been, but at the same time seem to be more uh, tribalistic than we've ever been. But maybe that's just because we're more cognizant of it and that's just, just always been there. Maybe even more at a local level. Yeah, like I said before, I read Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, and that was really good. I kind of put that all, all together there.
um, kind of some of those thoughts. But um, yeah, man, this is kind of some of those issues, man. It's just like there's a difference between laws and morality, kind of like what Jeff Sessions was just alluding to in the reverse where the laws kind of supersede morality, but I think it's the other way around, man. And I think, pretty sure Jesus had a Bible passage as well, too, that we explained that, um, you know, it was, I guess, in certain aspects, just to go against what uh, might be written down on law. Um, so, you know, you gotta have like the um, guidance of whatever spirit or whatever beliefs that you have moving forward, that uh, what you're doing is, in, is wholeheartedly uh, in good faith and correct so you know sometimes that uh, doesn't come through always with uh, with all that I don't know where I was going with that uh, kind of topic I've been kind of rambling it's been a long one it's been a long long one I'm, it's getting late I need to go to bed because I need to watch some soccer in the morning so anyway I'll wrap this up. It's been uh, another fun one. Uh, yeah, L3 on Saturday. I keep fucking with, baby. Go sing Celita Lindo and some chente out there in the public. Man, this is going to be fun. It's fun as fuck. I'm going to have a good ass time. Good ass time. Yeah. Um, anyway, this has been episode 29. It's uh, Thursday, June 21st. Uh, you as always follow me on the socials at Puro Caballero uh, as I mentioned before I'm trying to get all the socials up and running for the show Instagram should be the first one um, and possibly Twitter later but I'm a lazy ass Mexican at times so it'll happen when it'll happen in any event you can follow me at Puro Caballero that's where you'll see some updates especially on Twitter and follow along we are available to download and listen to on itunes we are on google play stitcher radio soundcloud definitely got a shout out soundcloud they're our home base uh everything stems from there and yeah I'm trying to think where else a oh, tune in radio so we're keeping it moving and grooving this has been episode 29. Uh, signing off until next time. We'll give you some more World Cup updates. And hopefully the world doesn't burn. Um, completely down because shit's topsy-turvy. Yeah, we don't know what's going on. Anyway, hasta luego. Deuces.